The opinions expressed on this podcast should be construed only as the opinions of the respective opiners, and some content may not be appropriate for little dragons. Discretion is advised. I can't never stop working hard. Each day I feel I have to improve. Hard work. Determination. I've got to keep pushing myself. And welcome to Hiya, the only podcast that's broadcast for the badass with a brain and hopefully a sense of humor. Episode 46, recorded all over the month of December, starts now. Okay, folks, we made it. We finally made it back over hill and dale through toil and travail. We have returned to you, our dear listeners. And when I say me, I'm talking about the mouse in my pocket and myself. Uh, yeah, it's Dave Jones. We're back. Hope you didn't miss us too much. We certainly missed you. And we're ready to tackle what we hope will be another productive season of Haya, the martial arts podcast. I guess a little bit of explaining is in order here. Uh, the first thing I should probably fill you in on is why we were gone for so long. So, uh... What happened was we, um, all right, I got to stop saying this royal we, uh, separate everything here. (laughs) The first thing that happened is I, my family and I, that's the we there. We found the we had a new baby. So congratulations to us. Yay. Uh, but if any of you have ever had a new baby or even a slightly old used baby, you know how much stinking time these things take. So, that was trouble. I also got a great new job. Yay! Guess what it did? Sucked up a shitload of time. Yeah, we're still cursing on the podcast, so get used to it. Uh, And uh, Craig and I, uh, well, Uncle Craig, the Kung Fu Mysterion, has gone walkabout again. Folks, this happens from time to time. I've I've known Craig uh, in 2014. It'll officially be 20 years. And this is just how he do, because he is an exotic kung fu master, and occasionally these people have to go to ground, they have to woodshed, and they have to do what they have to do to keep their kung fu strong. So, uh, Craig diligently worked to help me transfer uh, the, uh, the means of production on the website over to my control before he uh, went walkies, and uh, hopefully I've got all that sorted out now, but holy moly, I'm out of my league, and it took me a while to get here. There were new computers involved, new hotness for a computer. Yay! Old um, busted uh, computer. Unfortunately, barely made it to the transfer stage and went blue screen on me literally a day after I received the new computer. So I got my iTunes library and some other important stuff transferred over, but some stuff was lost. So... The point I want to make there is, folks, if you have sent correspondence to Haya and have not received any reply or don't hear it mentioned on the show, please just resend it or tag the Facebook page. The only two addresses operating currently are mailbag at Haya.com. That's mailbag at, oh, sorry, mailbag at Haya Podcast.com with two A's. 
And you can also reach me at Dave at HayaPodcast.com. Two A's in there. So it's the Dave at and the mailbag at that are functioning again. And I know that some stuff was lost, some good stuff, because I saw it, but I could not get it from the old computer to the new. And the old computer was not backing up for several months before it collapsed. So my apologies to anyone who has spent time sending us a missive and it has gone awry. That being said, let me tell you what's going to be on tonight's show. I had initially planned to have an interview, which some of you on the Facebook page may have noticed, um, with uh, Roy Miller. We're going to try to get that back up and running again soon. He was supposed to be in town, though, and the seminar got postponed, so sooner or later we will get to that. That should have been fascinating and will be when it happens. So I was left in a bit of a lurch. So what we've done here, I've gone to uh, my old faithful Steve Kepfer, and there's a lot of new stuff that we talked about going on in martial arts, mainly uh, in combat sports. We talked about some judging and some other things. You'll hear all that very shortly. Please uh, be forgiving. This was one of those death by a thousand edits interview where Skype kept doing the thing that Skype loves to do, where somebody starts the first syllable of a word, and it leaves this two-second pause in between. So... Uh, I cleaned it up as best I could. I think it'll be very listenable. And of course, the content, as always, coming from Steve is great. And he's got some exciting news for us in that segment. The next thing up for you is uh, Bruce Ryder stopped by the Champagne Lounge. And we hung out and talked some uh, martial arts stuff and got caught up on what he was doing. So I have some of that for you. And last but not least is a special New Year's holiday treat. You are going to get your first real peek inside the Champagne Lounge when the business is going down, people. Yeah, I realize this is a little weird, but you know, I have a new remote recorder that I'm testing out, and I put it out at my 45th birthday party here earlier in the month of December, which was chock full of martial artists and people like that milling about. And uh, I actually picked up some interesting conversation. Now, this will be at the end for those of you who don't care to peek into the Champagne Lounge. (laughs) And also who, you know, were kind of audiophiles like me and may be distracted by all the business going on in the background. There's some crosstalk, you know, affecting the audio. But again, I think it's listenable. And there's some really interesting snippets of conversation I'm going to lay on you just for entertainment there. Uh, Yeah, so that's... uh, Getting over my head cold, which you will hear (laughs) that I have throughout the episode. Blah, blah, blah. This one's going to be epic. But uh, before I rattle on too long, I just want to let you folks know we are back. And uh, I will have irregular co-hosts whenever possible, interviews where possible, discussions. All the features you've come to know and love from this podcast should be reinstated soon. And... uh, You know, my goal is to put out at least one hour of content every other week for you. That's a realistic goal, and if I can beat it, I'll beat it. Uh, Otherwise, um, you know, please let me know what you care about and what you don't care about. And uh, again, I want to, I'll do some more of this at the end, but I want to thank everyone who has listened, who has helped out with the podcast. Uh, Some of you guys, I may be tapping you for help again with this technical business. Uh, so yeah, so listeners don't look for show notes on this one too quickly. It would be a hot mess to show note anyway. So pay careful attention, especially in Steve's segment. Cause again, he has news for you. That's pretty exciting. Joke artist. Anyone mm-hmm. check it out. 
And, uh, you know, we'll pop back in and we'll talk just a little bit more at the very end of this one. It's going to be an epic length episode. You'll probably get two hours out of this. And again, feel free to pick and choose. If this is your first episode of Hi-Ya, you might want to go back and listen to one of the earlier episodes because this will be somewhat unorthodox, especially toward the end. But I trust you guys are capable of handling that and gals as well. So without further ado, I'm going to let you get on with it. Oh, and as a side note, some of the music we'll play in between tonight is off the new Dismemberment Plan record. First one in 13 years. I just thought I'd let you know who that was. Because, again, the show notes might be tardy or non-existent for this particular episode. Consider it a holiday bonus. All right, folks. Happy New Year. I'll talk to you again. got steve kepfer once again in the house it's been a long time steve yeah way too long man i missed you <laughs> you too i'm glad to, i'm glad it's back up and running again though oh me too it wasn't without a struggle but here we are finally um yes but enough about that uh you're gonna catch us up on some combat sports reportage i think and uh and uh the the very first story you've got i think is probably one that's closest to your heart uh, some judging controversies of late, uh, and we can tie that into GSP here in just a minute. But why don't we start out with uh, with your take on this? Well, I mean, generally the the hot topic in in MMA these days is is judging criteria and the ten point must system that's being used. And um, there's a lot of uh, criticism, particularly from Dana White, but also from a lot of fans about uh, how the the 10-point must system is inaccurate, and there's been uh, a few big fights that have had quote-unquote controversial decisions, one of which is the you know the most recent GSP Johnny Hendricks fight, um, where the vast majority of fans and journalists believed that GSP won, yeah. um, including well, myself. I didn't... I, 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 I didn't get to see it because, you know, job, new kid, all that business. But uh, I was watching Twitter and Facebook just explode after that fight with everybody going, oh, no, you know, he he was robbed. 
Well, I, I wouldn't call it a robbery, you know, by any means. I mean, it, I think Hendricks clearly won. And, and here's one of the, the things that causes problems it, with, with judging and, and how fans and a lot of journalists uh, perceive judging is, is that they, they don't understand the criteria that's defined by the Association of Boxing Commissions on how you judge a fight. They yeah. don't understand the 10-point must system. Well, we'll line it out for us so, you know, so all our sure, listeners sure. can get their heads around it. Sure, sure. I mean, for those who don't know, I, I, this year I, I got approved as a judge, and I've started judging uh, on a few cards, uh, you know, local cards, just to get myself experience. And uh, um, I'm actually taking the course again uh, in February just to recertify. There's been some changes in the rules and things. But generally speaking, uh, for those who don't understand, the fight is scored – not as a whole, but by round, by, uh, round by round. So, um, if it's a three fight, a three round fight, then essentially the judge is kind of scoring three individual fights. If it's a five round fight, it's five, five individual fights, and then uh, you'll give the winning fighter a ten, and the fighter that you believe lost a nine, and there are. Are also criteria for take rounds, like if somebody really, really put a beat down on on another fighter. But basically, one fighter gets ten, one fighter gets nine, and then at the end of three or five rounds, you total it up, and then you have a winner. And so the criteria is based on a four tier system, and most people are somewhat aware of the four tiers based on what, like, say the UFC will say in the beginning. Oh, and the judges score based on effective striking, effective grappling. Uh, cage control and aggression, right? Uh, but the way it really, and, and most people think that, that those are all equal, that, the, that they're all factored into the 10-9 score. But what happens is, is that if you feel that one fighter has effective striking and or grappling, more effective than the other, then you don't proceed to cage control or aggression at all. So it's really 98% of the fight's the only thing that matters is who had the more strike, effective striking or grappling. Okay. You don't go to the only time you move to cage control and aggression is if the tier before it you felt was a tie. Then we might move to aggression, and if both guys are equally aggressive, we can move to cage control. That makes sense. So most fights are really – yeah, yeah, most, but, but that's not explained to fans. They just see the, the list of four, and they think they're all equal. Right. Um, so now what, what – does effective mean effective is a broad term that essentially means a few things it means damage who did more damage it and it means who uh was able to implement their game plan and prevent the other person from implementing their game plan so one thing that i that i hear a lot of people say is oh well so and so defended this bet well and they defended the take down well and xyz well, defense doesn't mean anything in the criteria. The only thing that matters is effective offense. So when you're scoring a fight, you're not looking at how well somebody defended. You're looking at how well the offense of the attacker was. So okay. it, it's a subtle it's a subtle difference, but it's a big difference, you know. No, so, that, um, yeah, that's uh, I didn't didn't really know that, and that that kind of changes a lot. <laughs> Because when you're when you're just sure, watching sure. a fight, so if somebody's big, being really areas, that's a, oh, I'm sorry, man. Hello. Yeah, I'm here, man. I'm here. 
Oh, okay. It's uh, Skype is is hosing us today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm here. Okay. Uh, no, I was just saying it. It changes. You know, if you're just watching the fight without all that stuff in mind, then you know, I'm. I like to see good defense. You know, I'm impressed by that, and uh, especially. Since, of course, but yeah. in the end, it's in the end that's defense. Right. <laughs> that means you're losing. You have yeah, to defend yeah. Yourself, you can't you know? defend somebody to death. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so one one of the, one of the areas where this effectiveness issue comes up is uh, takedowns because people will say, "Oh, he got a takedown. He stole the round X Y Z." There, there's no stealing rounds, you know. At least in in it, with a good judge, there's no such thing as stealing rounds. It's really who was doing a more effective technique for the majority of the round. So if if um, you and I are in a fight and You've been landing a lot of punches on me. Maybe you cut me, or maybe you dropped me with a, you know, with a flash knockdown or something like that. Or you've pretty much been the more effective fighter. Sounds like fun uh, so the- far. <laughs> I'll bet. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think the other shoe's like, about to drop, though. <laughs> yeah, right. Then, but the last thirty seconds, I, 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 I take you down with a double leg or something. You'll hear a lot of people saying, "Oh, he stole that round," you know, with the, but not really. Right. Uh, the way the judging criteria is defined is that, again, you always have to go look at effectiveness. So if I take you down and you bounce right back up, that, that takedown is worth a lot less in my mind as a judge than if I take you down and, and keep you down and then you know land some punches and X, Y, Z and maybe try some submission attempts and right. et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So, um, yeah, so that – I mean that's basically it. And, uh, you know, I, I trained with uh, Rob Hines, who's a very experienced judge. Thousands of fights. He's been in, in, the, uh, in the game since the beginning. He's judged in every show that there is and refereed also. And, um, you know, like he says, you know, there, there's an argument out there that, we, that judges, you, technically judges are allowed to give a 10-10 round. But that really is kind of discouraged because there's, always one person who threw a better punch than the other you know right there's got to there's be always something. one thing yeah. yeah there's got to be something in there that you can give somebody 10-9 so um you know there's a lot of arguments that the 10 point must system isn't uh de- well defined enough you know they should have a half point system or you know for close fights or uh you know guys should be able to give 10 10 sevens and and stuff like that I mean, really, I think the system itself is fine. The bigger problem with judging is that a lot of the older judges, uh, particularly the ones grandfathered over from the boxing world, Mm -hmm. are just not familiar with the sport and are not trained to contemporary standards. So um, a lot of the problems that, at least in my opinion, that we see from judging aren't coming from the, the rules it's coming from poor training and poor understanding of the sport, you know. And it's starting to slowly change as you, as you get people who are raised on the sport, sure, starting to move over into the role of judges. But um, you know, take for example the GSP fight with Hendricks, right? He lost. There was um, a one. It basically came down to one round that was the deciding round, which was the first round. You know, all the judges had had it two and. Two in terms of rounds and then the first one was the one where there was some debate um, that's not a steal by any means right. you know, I mean the judges all agreed on 80% of, of the fight 
And it was that one round that was disagreement. So it, it wasn't a highway robbery. Right. Um, and I think a, a, the reason that a lot of people were um, upset is because physically, visibly, George St. Pierre did look like he got severely beaten down. You know, I mean, he just looked like he went through, you know, the meat grinder. Right. But in the end, you're, you're not the judges aren't scoring the fight as a whole like they used to do in Pride, for example. Okay. And I'm not saying that I don't think there should be some kind of factoring in the fight as a whole, but that's just the way it is right now with the 10-point must system. Judges are not looking at, you know, in round two, they're not looking at what happened in round one. Now, they at the beginning of the round, they start again. Okay, we're judging this round. Yeah, it's that whole so – each round is, a, it's, is its own entity. Yes, yes. Okay. And there are faults with that, in, in my opinion, but not large enough to uh, to make – like let's say a, st- a statistically significant difference you know yeah and uh i mean take i i forget the exact statistic but i got it from uh this judges group that i'm a part of they took the three judges that um that scored the gsp hendrix fight and the the one judge that was getting the most criticism from people for scoring uh i mean the two judges that were getting the criticism for scoring it for GSP, because one judge did score Hendricks as the winner. Um, they look back at their record, and I think the one, I don't know the numbers exactly, I could find them out, and you can put them in your liner notes if you want, but okay. the, you know, I guess be- between the two of them, they had judged like 80 UFCs, you know, like 40 apiece or something like that, and were only wrong like three times. Like only three times their their score was different than what the winner was, you know? Right. So, right. The problem is, is nobody nobody gives these guys credit when when it goes well, which is ninety nine percent of the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? But when, when it goes wrong, everybody's like, "Oh, the judging sucks." You know, White is all on 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 the air saying the Nevada Commission sucks and these judges should be fired. You know what most people don't know is that, for example, when the UFC travels to other countries where there are not athletic commissions, they hire the judges that come with them, right? So when they do a show in Nevada. The Nevada State Athletic Commission, those judges work for the commission. They don't work for the UFC. But when the UFC goes to, to uh, say, China or any other country like England that doesn't have a athletic commission that oversees everything, they bring the whole road show, the judges, the referees, and everything. And the funny thing is, is that these same judges that Dana White was, was bitching about in the GSP Hendricks fight are the same ones that the UFC itself hires to bring on their road shows. So if they were that bad, yeah, you wouldn't be hiring them. Right. <laughs> you'd be, you know, you'd be picking the ones that do a great job. You know, and these guys, by and large, do do a good job. You know, it's just like anything else. When they mess up, oh yeah, just like know, people pay attention. Just like being the umpire, nobody notices mm-hmm. you back there when things are going smoothly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, and there, and, and you know, and there are problems with judging, but by and large, I think the ten point must system works. I just think it's it's the system is okay. It's it's uh, some of the personnel and and uh, some evolutions that have to happen within our sport as a whole yeah, that well, are affecting judging. Well, tell me this: what's the uh, what are the requirements to be a judge? Does it vary from pro to amateur shows? You know, what's the what do you have to do minimum baseline to be a judge? Well, that's a good question, and there and here's one of the problems: is that there is no ubiquitous standard nationally for judging the association of boxing commissions makes recommendations but that but they're just a non-profit organization 
that uh, state commissions can follow their recommendations or not. So it, from state to state, the requirements are di- different, you know. Uh, so there is no there is no standard that's followed, and that's one of the problems. Right. And uh, honestly, the commissions are kind of like good old boys clubs, you know. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to get in working with the with a state commission as a, as a young up and coming judge or referee because they have their favorites, they have the people that work for them, and, and they don't really rotate them out. And most commissions, my understanding and my you know in my experience, aren't really pushing people to to recertify and reeducate. And and I can just say that from having uh, you know hosted one of the Association of Boxing Commission trainings and another one coming up that uh, officials have told me, uh, yeah, the, our commission doesn't require us to t- take it again. It's really up to them, and some of them have never taken it, you know? Right. And some commissions have their own in-house training that is very secretive and nobody knows what's involved, <laughs> you know? And uh, if anything. Right. You know? So, yeah, there's no standard. That's the problem is that uh, – you know, unlike boxing, for example, where there's federal regulation with the Muhammad Ali Act, you know, about how, let's say, for example, what the UFC does on the roadshow, hiring its own judges and referees, that's completely illegal in boxing. You know, the right. Muhammad Ali Act, in an, in, uh, in an attempt to prevent corruption, made, made it uh, illegal for a sanctioning body and a promotional body to be one in the same, you know, you have to be separate. Uh, um, but that those, all those kinds of laws haven't been instituted in MMA yet. Well, do you think and, they need some sort of Sarbanes Oxley law like that for MMA? And, and if so, who, who would be able to, you know, set that rule? Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, look how, I mean, you figure, look how long boxing's been around. It took over a hundred years for us to get the Muhammad Ali act. Right. So um, I think it'll be a while before we get some kind of outcry that's going to get uh, federal legislators looking at doing the same for MMA. So right now it's state to state. You know, it's kind of the same as what we were. You know, in, in the past episodes when we were talking about amateur MMA, that there's no standardized uh, regulation across the country, and it's the same with with judging criteria and referee criteria and and fight doctor criteria. Right. You know, there's some states that. Uh, just any physician can volunteer, and there are some states, for example, that require you to be a trauma physician, and then there's everything in between. So that's you know our st- our sport is still in its is still in its infancy in that regard. Yeah, I guess uh, the last question I have on this judging thing, I think, is uh, you know what is there anything at all a fighter can do to you know um, what should a fighter you know yeah, you know, know about yeah, yeah. judging. Going, is there anything they can do to help their chances for getting points? You know, what? Sure, how does it impact sure. them? Um, well, first of all, I would suggest. I mean, the whole. I mean, the whole reason I originally took the ABC course on refereeing and judging was because I was a coach and I wanted to just make myself uh, to give myself some more stock as a coach. But um, it, and it's very helpful for understanding um, how to approach a fight and, and what the judges are looking for. Now, this is assuming judges are following the, the criteria, you know. But, um, you know, one, one thing, for example, that I, I changed in t- terms of how we'll approach a fight based on the judges, because one of, the, one of, the, one of the, uh, the guidelines is that 
a judge cannot assess what he doesn't see. And that seems to be logical and makes sense. Yeah. And that's something that people don't take into account, that judges, 99% of judges don't have video replay or they're not watching the fight on video. And, and I personally don't think they should be watching the fight on video anyway. They should be watching it with their own eyes. Right. But um, – and poor, large portions – of the fight take place uh, far across the cage from where a particular judge is sitting. So these three judges are triangulated around a cage. Right. And each has a different vantage point of the fight. And oftentimes that will affect the uh, the score. So how does that... I, I've kind of wanted to do a, a, uh, a study. If, yeah. So, so let's say I have my opponent pressed against the cage, right? right? So the judge on the far side of the cage, all he can see is my back. And he can't see whether my, 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 my knees are landing or being blocked or anything like that. Right. Can't see the face of the guy that I'm hitting to, see, to register whether my strikes are effective. You know, it, it, basically, he's flying blind. He's not supposed to assess that part of the fight. Right, or he would have so, to drop all the way back to the aggression tier because that's all he can tell is you're being aggressive at that point. He can't see what the results of it are. Well, and, and to be honest, uh, pushing somebody up against the cage yeah. um yeah he would have to drop back to aggression but this this is the thing if i just have you pressed against the cage let's say and i'm not doing anything mm-hmm. then that's considered a neutral position okay so if i have you pressed against the cage and i'm wailing on you and trying to take you down and landing strikes then i'm doing something with it so again it comes back to the effectiveness if we're just hugging each other and laying on the cage then neither of us are going anywhere right. but he may not be able able to to um use aggression either because uh i may have you pressed against the cage but you may may in fact be the more aggressive guy working on the inside doing dirty boxing things like that right that i can't see because it's you know out of view of me so really the judge is just not supposed to score that at all and and i so i what i was going to say is i thought it would be really interesting to take these split decisions um, and look at them, let's say, over a period of the last uh, – since 2000 when they instituted the unified rules and, and see if we can go and look at where each ju- – what each judge scored each round and where they were sitting in relation to the action in the cage. Because I just have this feeling that a lot of the uh, quote-unquote controversial scores will be from judges that couldn't see what was going on, You know that they were on a – far side of the cage or something like that and that's why we have three judges you know i mean that's the whole point of having three judges at, at three parts of the, the the cage yeah but when from the from the coach's perspective so what we do now is like usually what will happen is you'll have your corner right well there's no corner in a in octagon but you'll have your entrance right and um you're usually situated between two judges you know and then there's a third judge somewhere on the other side uh, so what we do immediately is like our fighter goes out, taps gloves, and our strategy is to circle around to the opposite side of the cage so he's facing us and then take his opponent down towards us. So he's right by our corner and he's right smack dab in the middle of at least two judges. <laughs> <You know? Right. laughs> so so that, that sort of like became like our thinking after I was like, yeah, th- all right, so this really makes sense. You know? uh, yeah, yeah, that's um, genius. And, and I know like we had, for example – yeah, like Al um, Al Ayakinta from from the Ultimate Fighter took our judging course that uh, Rob had offered last year at my at, uh, here in the city, and he said it changed completely how he how he's going to approach a fight. 
you know, mm-hmm. like even even, you know, by making sure to take the action somewhere that might be a little more visible to to the judge, you know, and, and it could be just as simple as when you step into the cage as a fighter uh, and you're sitting outside as a coach, make a note where the judges are sitting, you know, OK, there they are. Let's make sure that uh, we at least have an awareness of it, you know. Yeah. Well, it but, sounds like yeah. something that, you know, uh, while a fighter might want to take these courses, it sounds like it's almost imperative for coaches if they want to really, you know, stay on top of their game to to know some of this stuff. And plus it broadens, you know, the 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 their skill base so they can, you know, do other things. Absolutely. And it, and it's not just where the judges are sitting, but, you know, it's what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's, you know... Uh, some coaches are under the impression as as long as I'm aggressive and I'm moving forward, I'm winning the round. But that's not true, you know. Right, because that's Just a lower the tier than you know. If the guy's landing more effective punches, even though you're backing him up, then yeah, there's a lot of great counter strikers. If the guy's moving backwards and hitting you more than you're hitting him, and you're moving forwards, that guy's winning the round. You know, right. it all comes back to what I tell everybody. It all comes back to the effectiveness of what's happening. If it's not, if, if a guy's moving forward and throwing a lot of punches, but it's doing nothing, you know, then it's, he might as well be doing, doing nothing. You know, the whole point is to be effective. Yeah. Now, uh, if, if someone's running away, how does that work in, 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 in will that, you know, are they well, not yeah, being aggressive sure. enough there or is it, you know, how, where's the line for that? I mean, there, there's a difference between running away and, uh, you know, strategically backing up, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I mean, you can back up and and work your angles so you can hit, you know, land your punches and kicks. And then there's just refusing to engage somebody. And that, that's a completely different situation. And, and I'll be honest with you, that's when the, the experience of the judge comes into play. Um, I personally feel that all judges should have some experience, both in, stand up and uh ground arts you know they don't have to be champions or anything but they have to understand like what's going on and you know what's interesting is uh at last year's course there's there's two exams there's a practical exam and a and a written exam you know written exam is based on the lectures of from the whole day you know based on the rules and the criteria xyz and then there's a practical exam where where uh, they bring in two pro fighters who demonstrate different techniques, and um, they know what they have to demonstrate ahead of time. Right. And then the exam is for the for the attendee to name the technique. Now you know everything has a different name, but you have to be able to identify this is a choke, this is attacking the elbow, you know, this is attacking the ankle, you know, things like that. Gotcha. And um, there was a a forty percent fail rate in the course last year, and. M- I I don't remember the exact numbers, but the majority of the people of that forty percent failed because they failed the practical, and those right. were just people who did not understand the grappling game well enough to answer basic questions about what certain attacks were. And yeah, and, and unlike unlike the stand up stuff, grappling you know it's body to body, it's on the ground, a lot can be obscured. So if you're not really familiar with what's going on in that tangle, it, I'd imagine it would be really hard to to judge. Sure, sure. And, and and that, you know, that's why grappling is, sadly enough, is I don't think ever going to be a real uh, spectator sport, at least not the way it's practiced today in competition, because people just don't understand it. You know, it, it's much easier to understand a 
knockout, <laughs> you know, yeah. regardless of whether you, you trained anything ever. But wow, he punched him in the head and that guy fell to the, the canvas. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> pretty cut and dry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty basic. Same thing with kicks to the leg. You kick somebody in the leg, they fall over. Wow, okay, that worked. You know, yep. it's it's very immediate whether your striking is working. Somebody gets cut, stuff like that. Grappling, it's 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 a whole different ball game. You know, you have there's a lot more uh, technique that you have to be aware of to to enjoy it. So, and that's a big problem with a lot of the officials in, in the sport, at least the ones that are sort of you know, not raised on the sport, like people of my generation say, you know, people in their, in their early forties and, and, and younger, you know? Right. Yeah. And that you mentioned early on about, you know, some of the boxing carryover judges were having problems with it. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, you know, there, there was, um, I won't, you know, there was a, a boxing judge that took the course and failed because he didn't understand the practical, you know. Yeah. But and, and, and the sad thing is that guy will probably still work. I'm oh, not sure. going to say what mission he was from, but it, 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 he only did it for himself, you know, and uh, it wasn't like he was required to do it. So pass or fail, the commission that he works for will probably still keep him working. So. Yeah. He doesn't even have to tell him about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know. Oh well, it's a, it's a rough game that fighting sport. <laughs> mm-hmm. So many mm-hmm. so many things can can go wrong, or there's I don't want to say that. So many factors are involved that it's you know, uh, it's like life. Nothing's ever perfect, and you know, sure, you got to go for the for the biggest result to to maximize your chances of winning. You know, because right? if you, you know, choke I mean, somebody out or you knock them out, you know you've won the fight. You know, <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, I always come back to the fact that most of the fights, nobody is complaining about the decisions. And that means most of the time the judges are doing a great job. Yeah. And I don't know a single sport where there's never controversy over judges' decisions, whether they be umpires or whatever, you know? Right. I mean, the bottom line is when you, there's human error, you know? Yeah. And, And you know, I'll tell you another thing. I've never seen a a fighter after a fight go scream at one of the judges like John McEnroe, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Well, you'll have to scream at all three of them. Well, that yeah, it makes it hard, and they're all spread out. <laughs> yeah, totally. And on the other side of the cage, too. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, safety. McEnroe yeah. could have climbed up that little chair and just uh, beat the tar out of one of those judges if he wanted to. But yeah. Uh, yeah. anyway, before I get silly. So uh, so this kind of ties in with, uh, with George St. Pierre uh, finally retiring. Uh, uh, what do you have to say about this? I mean, obviously, the man had an incredible career, uh, but it is kind yeah, of a absolutely. weird way to go out. You know, what, what's, your, what's your take on this, Steve? Well, I mean, okay, let's just, the background being that, you know, he won the fight officially. Right. That a lot of people were upset because they felt he didn't win the fight. Um, I, don't think he, I don't think he won. I agreed with the judge that scored it for, for Hendricks. But, you know, hey, that's the way it is. He won. And... Yeah. Um, uh, and he so he makes the announcement in the ring, you know, sort of very ambiguous. It didn't seem very well rehearsed or or even like the UFC knew it was coming. But he did make this announcement that he was going to take time off, you know, and um, the the Zufa's immediate reaction at that time seemed to be like, uh, no, we're going to talk to you about that <laughs> in the back room after the show is over. Yeah. over. You know, you're not you're not retiring. You you're on contract. And you are our biggest pay-per-view draw, and you're you're not hitting the road just yet, you know. And just as an 
side, it's really tough for a champion to retire unless they lose. Right. Uh, because of the champions clause that, that the UFC puts in their contract. You know? So you, if you win the title, you're obliged to fight again and defend it. You're not allowed to retire. So you're essentially forced to keep fighting, you know, huh? unless, you know, they let you go, unless they let you go, they, unless they suspend the contract. But generally speaking, and Bellator has the same contract, you know, it's like, as long as you're the champ, you're obliged to keep fighting. You and, can't uh, just take your you belt lose, and go you home. Yeah. So it, it, that, yeah, you can, you know, and that's, and that's a problem when, I mean, when you got a guy like, say, St. Pierre, who's got 20 odd wins in a row in the UFC and he's set the record for, you know, consecutive def- title defenses and he's one of their biggest money makers and um and not, not to mention that he's got an entire gym that's that's based on his celebrity status, you know? Yeah. A lot of people depending on on him to keep winning and stay the champ. So I imagine there's a lot of pressure that he has to deal with. Um nobody knows for sure why he retired. You know, he hasn't said just that is personal. So there's there's a lot of theories out there, but but nobody knows. Right. Uh, um, but but regardless, you know, Dana seemed at first like, no, we're going to talk to him and he'll be back. You know, and that was sort of the tone of his post-fight interviews. And so then, you know, it, it just sort of set this weird dramatic tone where people thought he really lost, but then he won, and then now he's saying he doesn't want to fight anymore. You know, and it's you, you got to think it sucks for for Johnny Hendricks when. Ninety nine percent of the fight world thinks you're the the champ, you know. Right. Um, it, it's it's just a sort of an unfortunate situation. Yeah. So fast forward, fast forward a few weeks, and then George St Pierre makes the announcement that this time with the UFC's blessing that he's going to vacate the title and take a leave of absence. Still doesn't say he's retiring or not retiring, but that he's given up the title and and uh, taking time off. Well, how know? how old Which, is he again, now? You know, I, I, what's that? How old is he now? Um, I don't know exactly, you know, mid 30s, yeah. I think. I mean, he's, you know, he couldn't take much time off and expect to come back and play at the level he's at now. I well, he, he, and you know, his last several fights were after he took a year and a half off after he tore his ACL. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, you know, and, and his, his fights post ACL tear, he's won all of them, but he's gotten beaten up pretty bad in all of them. You know, he's not decisively winning fights anymore, right. you know? And uh, he's still winning, but he's in every single one of them. He's looking like he got hit by a truck, right? And that's and that's not the old GSP. No, and that may and, be uh, why he wants out too. You know, but again, be. that's just speculation. Be. Yeah. Well, it what is, what but, are they, when the title's vacated? What happens? Uh, does you know? Does the last well, guy that fought him get a other. shot with a new guy? What happened? Well, I mean, in this case, they've already decided that. Um, Johnny Hendricks obviously is going to be the, you know, is going to fight for the vacant title against um, Robbie Lawler, who, uh, you know, it's somewhat of a controversial decision. I I've been a fan of Robbie Lawler for for a long, long time. You know, he's fought his way up from a from he used to be out of uh, Pat Miletic's camp in Iowa. Okay, and he's been fighting for a long, long time. He's fought in a lot of organizations. He's one of these guys that never got solid footing because of a whole lot of different things, either not doing well in the beginning, so the UFC gets rid of him, and then doing well, say in Strike Force, but then Strike Force gets picked up, and he doesn't get the, you know, he loses a job, and you know, there's a lot of fighters who've been shuffled around because of the 
the weirdness of the fight game. Uh-huh. But um, he's finally uh, found a home in the UFC, and he's doing fantastically, and he's beating guys that on paper are supposed to beat him, you know? And um, although I've always bet on him, and he always wins. He's just, I think he's, <laughs> I, I think he's super underrated. I mean, this guy, do you, do you know who Melvin Manhoof is? Melvin Manhoof. He's, no, a, he's like a serious, seriously serious Muay Thai kickboxer, uh, K1, like, one of the best in the world, like serious. Like you okay. do not want to stand up this guy. And Lawler knocked this guy out. When he was – Manhoof was beating the crap out of him. and But he, he knocked him out. I mean Lawler's got hands like like stone, you know. Right. And um, and so he just keeps winning. You know, he's like that little engine that could. So <laughs> I personally am psyched that he's going to fight Hendricks for the vacant, vacant title. Now there are out, people out there saying, look, there are other people in that weight division who have – uh, a lot more wins in the UFC, et cetera, et cetera. But it is what it is. It's a tough call for me because I think Hendricks should be the champ right now. I think he beat St. Pierre. And so he sort of is the people's champ, you know? Right. But at the same time, I, I would love to see Lawler win because that guy's just had a rough road to the top. So it'd be a really great story for him to win. Yeah. And but, it's, it's setting up one of those, <laughs> one of those hard luck sports stories where, you know, you, you, you don't get the championship when you should have, and then you get to fight for it, but you lose. And then, you know, it, but we'll exactly. see what happens, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if Lawler, if Lawler wins, then it would really be horrible for Hendricks. But then, you know, the, the, the flip side of that is let's say Hendricks won. I mean, let's say Hendricks did win that GSP fight and he became the title. Lawler would probably be next to fight him anyway. Right. You know, so he might not have been able to defend that title, if, you know, if, the, if this is the way it plays out. But um, you never know. I, I think but one indication of how serious this George St. Pierre, whatever it is, is going on is because it's not typical for the UFC to vacate a title. Uh, they usually come up with this ridiculous, what's in my opinion ridiculous, this interim title, you know, like what they did when G- when when GSP was out for his ACL, right? Or when somebody can't fight for a long period of time, they create this sort of interim title, and then so somebody gets this sort of, it's like a second class belt or something, you know? I know that's so weird. Then, it's very weird, and I've never agreed with it, and 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 a lot of people disagree with me, but I feel that. Interim titles just confuse the situation, and regardless of why why somebody can't fight, a title is supposed to represent who is the best guy right now who's fighting right now. Yeah. So if you rip your ACL out in a fight and you're out for two years, no doubt that sucks. But I don't think people should keep that title on reserve for you. You know, I think you 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 go do what you got to do. You get first shot at it when you come back. Yeah. You know? yeah um, awesome. So I've always been a fan. Let's vacate the title and, and get, get a new title holder. I mean, if it was St. Let's take St. Pierre, for example. If he had vacated the title during his ACL tear, which I was saying that they should have done, and everybody else was saying, not everybody, but a lot of people were saying, no, but, you know, he fights, so why hold a title for him? We should hold a title for him. And I'm like, look, there's other people on a career track here that shouldn't have to wait for him. Yeah. And so even if he had vacated the title back then, he would have come back and and got first pick, which he did. And he beat the interim title guy, which he did, and he got it would have got his title back anyway. Yeah, so, and that guy could have been the champ or so, or more than that guy, you know, whoever held him. It just seems very odd to be the champ except for that guy. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's totally like 
you know, that's like, uh, well, you're the champ, but you're only the champ because the real champ's not fighting. You know, that's yeah. just, it's, and, and what do you do? You put that on your resume. I was the interim champ, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know. No, <laughs> you, you want to be the champ. Right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, look, uh, before we go on too long, there was one other little thing you had, you had mentioned to me earlier that I wanted to ask about. Uh, somebody uh, got, uh, am I correct in saying, got cut from the UFC for uh, holding a leg lock too long? How did this play out? Ah, yeah, that's uh, Paul Harris. Yeah, he. Yeah, that's another. That's another recent sort of controversy. Whether or not he should have been, he wasn't just cut. He was banned like forever. Oh, from the UFC. okay, okay. Yeah. He's a he's a Brazilian fighter. Really, really good. Very, very brutal fighter. Very brutal submissions. Um, and but he he's got a long history, many occasions of holding submissions much longer than, uh, you know, like long after the referee tells you to stop where the guy taps, things like that. Yeah. And, and he's, and his specialty is leg locks. And, uh, so he's hurt several people in the past, uh, this way. Um, as to why he does it, there are theories, you know, like I personally, and I'm not saying this in a judgmental way, but he, in some way, my radar is going off. Like this guy has some kind of, learning or developmental disability i really like there's something not clicking with him it's almost like to make the stereotype like the coach is like okay you go out and destroy and then he's like yes boss i go destroy and then he just doesn't stop until you know destroy you know there's some there's something not connecting if you, if you watch now so the controversy comes from he did this supposedly in the in the ufc and and there's lots of videos out there with timestamps and all this, and people all dug into it on how long did he hold it after the referee said stop, and you know it turned out to be like a second and a half or two and a half seconds, which is a lot when you're putting a strain on somebody's ACL. Yeah, and, and people but, don't tap until they have to. You know, they don't want to lose, so you're at the breaking yes, point yeah. already. Now, I, I watched that fight, and I thought, okay. You know, I didn't watch the fight live, and everybody was going crazy, like, oh, oh, he did it, you know. And I'm looking at it like, well, it wasn't in the same league of the other occasions. You know what I mean? I think what it really it was was it was the straw that broke the camel's back. Okay. If that, if that, if this had been his first offense, I don't think people would have been saying you held that too long. You're out of here. You know. Um, but it wasn't his first offense. And so I really think it was a matter of, of him having a history yeah, already. A pattern of uh, behavior. Because was even, even his opponent was saying, dude, the guy didn't hold it that long, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was just like, uh, you know, okay, we've had enough. He's also been banned from Abu Dhabi for the same thing. And, um, you know, and I've, I've seen a lot of his fights. I watched tons and tons because he was supposed to go against uh, Pablo Popovich at uh, Abu Dhabi this year. And Popovich actually brought me down to Florida to train him in uh, leg lock defense okay. because he, he knew he was going to go against uh, Paul Harris. So, you know, I, I worked – I watched like every single Paul Harris video there is available to uh, uh, 
uh, look for some uh, common ground amongst all the fights and some weaknesses, X, Y, Z. And uh, so I went down and worked with Popovich on that. We built a strategy, and uh, he ended up not fighting him because Paul Harris was banned from Abu Dhabi also for the same thing, for holding submissions too long. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, maybe I'm a big Nancy boy, but you know, if I knew somebody had a reputation for keeping it up after the fight was over, I don't know if I'd want to fight him at all. Yeah, well, you know, I don't know. It's there. There's different fighters and competitors. You know, some people want to fight that guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, I'm I a mean, big he, Nancy boy, so here you go. <laughs> he, you know, to show that this guy's beautiful. <laughs> right. Right. Well, you know, the, honestly, what his, you know, just from a technical side, his leg locks are not stellar. Like in terms of uh, fine technique. What they are is really fast and really aggressive, right. and 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 in a community, the, the BJJ community particularly, who has a sort of uh, built-in fear of leg locks to begin with. You know, there's this whole taboo of leg locks, and a lot of BJJ guys don't train leg locks from the beginning, uh-huh. and they're unfamiliar with them. and And what they do learn about them is oftentimes not very uh, proper. So. You ha- it's it's just a horrible combination, and I personally also feel that the um, the uproar against Paul Harris, let's say if these were if these were arm bars, wouldn't be nearly what we what we have now. But oh. they're leg locks because I I mean you didn't look look take uh, Frank Mir breaking Tim Sylvia's arm, <laughs> you know, right? Or I mean Frank Mir's broken three arms in his career, and nobody's looking at him and. And saying this guy's insane, you right. know, there it's just culturally because Brazilian jiu-jitsu has uh, such deep roots in the MMA community. There's a there's a taboo against leg locks, you know. And and you look, you go to tournaments. I just went to a tournament here. We had a guy. One of my guys was in a uh, the finals of a, a match, right? Mm-hmm. And he he slaps a choke on this guy. He was losing on points, but he gets this choke on this opponent and the opponent does what is uh, no offense to any of my brazilian friends out there but uh what is called the brazilian tap which is like a light tap to make the guy stop and then you say you didn't tap uh-huh. so it, it's a dirty trick and so my my student had the choke on this guy and the dude tapped underneath their their collective bodies out of view of the referee my student lets go and then there's a big hoopla he claims he didn't tap xyz but you know what the com and this is not this is not rare at grappling tournaments for those of you who out there who go to these things you've all probably have examples of it but what what do the officials tell you don't let go until I tell you to let go <laughs> you know right. what I mean <laughs> and so there's this weird paradox when you when on one hand you're told you keep going it's not your job or your responsibility to stop and be a gentleman it's the referee's job, you know. And then on the other hand, if you don't stop, you're you're called uh, unsportsmanlike, or you know, let's say let's say Jabari had uh, my student Jabari had choked this guy unconscious and kept cho- stopped it, and the ref was not in a good position to see the tap or to see if the kid was unconscious. Then everybody would be saying, "Dude, you're like Paul Harris. Like, why don't you just let it go already?" You know. Right. So there's definitely. Um, some double standards that go on, and I think because Paul Harris attacks legs, um, it's just magnified even more. That's, that's, because I we we see all the time in tournaments and fights guys cranking on arms, 
you know, like for till the till the cows come home, and nobody's complaining that they're being too brutal. You know, <laughs> that's some really interesting politics there. Just the you know the nature of the technique is almost more important than the the result. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, it's you know where it all started, and and uh, in the, I think it was the '60s. You know, in Brazil, there was the Gracie family was the more powerful family, and they were pretty much running the show in terms of jujitsu. And then there was the Vada, the Fada family, was another jujitsu family. And uh, one year, I don't know if it was the late '50s or early '60s, the Fadas like basically cleaned house on the Gracies at this tournament at, at the Brazilian Nationals. And they did it all with leg locks. And then uh, the year after that, leg locks were banned. <laughs> you know, so it's like, you know, it's the same. It's, it goes on in every sport. It's the same with judo, how, you know, the Japanese ban all the stuff that they lose to. You know, it's, right. it's just, it's typical. So, but the result of that uh, 40 years, 50 years down the road is that there's this taboo against leg locks that's, in, built into the rules of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and built into the culture of the training of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And, um, and I, I really believe that's a big part of why Paul Harris is looked at the way that he is. I mean, he does hold things along. I'm not saying he doesn't. And I'm not saying he's right about it either. But I think people wouldn't be going crazy if he's doing it with arm bars. I see your point, Steve. That's very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know, uh, before I let you go, and I want to thank you again for coming on uh, and, and keeping our listeners and myself up to date on all this good stuff. Angus, no problem. My Angus pleasure. says thank you, too. You can hear him oh, yeah, yeah. off out there. Uh, I hear but before I let you go, uh, one last question. Do you have uh, maybe a, a, a best of 2013? What was your? I know you've had a lot of good stuff happen this year. You because uh, this is going to come out right around New Year's. Wow! You, you got a new location for your school. I know that bigger and more mats and yeah, all that stuff. But uh, you know, what yeah, a, yeah what? 2013. Yeah, 2013 was a great year, man. I mean, um, it was. We did. We moved the the, the gym into a new location. Uh, Bigger location, uh, you know, new, newer um, equipment, everything. There's a nice, nice excitement in the gym with all the students, and everybody's excited at the new space. Yeah, it looks awesome. Uh, yeah, the docu- our documentary came out on Hulu this year. That was a really big thing. Yeah. And, um, yep, we, uh, you know, we didn't get MMA in New York this year, so that's sort of a downer for 2013. But, um Overall, it's been it's been great. I mean, for me personally, and for the for the gym, and for the for the movie, and just uh, I'm I'm really fortunate, you know. Like I'm blessed. I'm, I'm involved in a lot of projects, and most of them are pretty successful. Yeah, and you got a lot of hot new stuff coming for 2014. It looks like. Yeah, man. If I can make a plug, just everybody keep an eye on uh, this new TV show that I'm I'm uh, signed on as a producer. It's called Choke Artist. You can follow us at Twitter on TV Choke Artist, or um, we're on IMDb too. You can look up just Choke Artist. But we just finished casting for the series this weekend. Yesterday, in fact, we saw we spent hours and hours uh, uh, auditioning people, and uh, we're down to our picks. And uh, so hopefully, we'll announce who's going to be the cast on Monday. Awesome! And in early February, we're shooting. Yeah, we're shooting the sizzle reel to present to a couple of. Uh, um, entities that are interested in seeing it and, and uh, with any luck they'll pick it up and 
we'll have a, a TV series. So it's pretty cool, man. Awesome. Yeah, well, listeners, we'll remind you again as this moves along. But Choke Artists, get out there and check it out. And Steve, you know, if you wind up doing any location shooting down here in Georgia and need a set painter, I'm in the union. <laughs> All right. Well, well man, I'm, look, I'm trying to hook up everybody I know. I mean... You know, if you if, when you see this, when you see the the reel that we put out, the the Sizzler, it's going to be chock full of um, really cool cameos, like local New York cameos and friends, and right. like the Rob Hines, hopefully the referee that I was telling you about, yeah. the the trainer. He's looking to get here from Chicago so he can play the referee in the scene. And uh, I can't say who yet, but it looks like the the lead character is going to be played by a, a known UFC fighter, and um, we've got. Got some interesting people uh, looking at coming on board as executive producers and and putting some money behind this. So there's a lot of momentum behind it. So uh, it could be it could be really could be really big. So everybody follow TV Choke Artist on Twitter. All right. Well, I can't wait to see it, Steve. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, my pleasure, man. Thanks again for having me. the champagne lounge that's right <laughs> a <laughs> rare glimpse it's a shame you were <laughs> traveling had a pretty good party out here had a big fire oh yeah sounds nice we had several parties while i was gone <laughs> oh, i'm sure you partied much more than i did <laughs> and i'm jealous <laughs> partied in moscow we found a 24-hour restaurant bar that served absinthe. Oh, Lord. I did not partake in absinthe, but I helped people out that did. Yeah. <laughs> the next day. Held their heavy metal hair while they went to the toilet. Carried one of them back to, back to the hotel. <laughs> Stopped the security from throwing us out because they were dancing on the tables, and security didn't understand why people were dancing on the tables in this restaurant. It was just, it was a restaurant, too. It's like going into the all-night diner and dancing on the tables. Yeah, and they nobody spoke English, so it was like a game of gestures. Like, <laughs> they understood this. <laughs> well, that's so cute. How could they not? That's a universal language right there. <laughs> Please. A little prayer hands. <laughs> But yeah, violence in Ukraine. That was pretty crazy. The, the civil, un, not unrest, but the people expressing themselves, I guess. Half the country wants something, and the other half wants something else. Right. And they've all gathered in the middle of the capital, and 
We're getting dangerously polarized here. Yeah. Well, the that kind of violence, like the defending yourself from the police <laughs> in in that case, who, according to the president of the Ukraine, acted out of turn and were not supposed to use the type of force they did. But you can see them brutally beating people up. Like there's one video that, and fortunately, I didn't see it firsthand, but I saw a video of it. Right. And um, they beat the shit out of this protester, hit him with sticks, kicked him, and he was lying limp and unconscious on the ground. And then another cop, you know, the, the cops that were beating up got bored and moved on to the next person. Another cop ran up and kicked the limp body in the torso, you know, and on, a, on their way to beating up more protesters. And the protesters were, and like from what I could see on the day I was there, being really peaceful and not wanting any violence, they just wanted to have their voices heard and get get their fair vote. Yeah. Which, in you know, I think everyone wants their fair vote. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And, they, and it's not fair for the government to suppress you with violence. Like, you know, they they try that in America too, though. Like with the people who sat at, in a Wall Street or whatever. Yeah, and there was plenty of video at the time around. They it, it usually wasn't heavy beatings, although occasionally it was, like shooting a kid in the head with a tear gas canister and shit like that. Yeah. But they would just sit protesters down in a line and zip tie their hands behind their backs and just walk casually by, just pepper spraying yeah. the shit out of them, you know? Like, take that to your hippie <laughs> drum circle. <laughs> now, how do you defend... I'm glad I never. I'm glad I haven't seen anything that. like that in person because I would have to slap the can of pepper spray out of the fucking cop's hand and, and then, then and then face and, the consequences, mm-hmm. though, right? So so you're you're faced with like a just being passive and hoping that if you're passive that nothing will happen to you bad or right defending yourself and taking the chance, you know, because <laughs> they're gonna yeah it's know, shitty. Oh. I'm blind. It's okay. The light's bad out here. <laughs> My actually, I, I have glasses now that I never wear, but um, yeah, it's it's over the past couple of years, I've been like this reading thing. That's so. the way I am. Man. <laughs> My arms are almost too short to read at this point. So <laughs> yeah, it's just about. But I was, I was wondering how, like a. Like in America, say there's um, whatever you get. Like in, in New York, they have stop and frisk. Yeah, yeah. it's it's illegal to carry a pocket knife in the city of Manhattan, right? Or in the on the island, right? right. And um, but there are, there are exceptions to the rule. Like if you're if you're uh, working and it's a tool of your trade, you know, then you can have one on your way to and from work, and on your way to and from meal breaks from work, right? And uh. I've probably told you this story before, but not on recording. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the merchandise seller for a t- tour that I was on a couple months back, he walked out from the venue to the local deli just around the corner across the street or whatever, and um, he'd been working all day preparing the merchandise stand and cutting boxes with his pocket knife, you know, cutting them open and... You know, doing whatever else. Using it like the tool yep. it is, yeah. And he, you know, kept it in his pocket like, you know, so many people do with a little clip sticking out. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and um, he he was stopped by, they have like roving bands of police that go in like groups of, you know, two to ten. And they mm-hmm. just 
patrol Times Square, safest place on earth, yeah, mm-hmm. probably. And uh, well, for for most of us, yeah. And um, <laughs> certain. So certain they stop types. him, and they he he's like, um, "Yes, sir. May I help? Or what do you need? Or yeah." And he's a polite, well-educated young man who would you know not. I'm, I did. I didn't witness the ordeal, but I'm sure he would not talk in any disrespectful way. To the yeah, police. he wouldn't provoke the yeah. cops. And they they said they see you have a knife, and it's illegal to have a knife in New York City. And they wrote him a ticket and said, "Here's your um, ticket, which is however many hundred dollars, and here's your notice to appear in court. Your court date's on da da da." Of course, that's pretty inconvenient because he's oh, traveling yeah. on tour, and. I was the tour manager of the tour, so I tried to do what I could to help him out. So I, you know, called the attorney or whatever and found out the exact laws. And we could have gone to court and fought it, but of course that would have cost thousands of dollars and right. and time, time and yeah. just not worth it. So he ended up just paying the ticket. You know, but the police confiscated his knife for no just reason at all. Yeah, and they and they have this. Wait, if you're going to give me a policy, ticket, leave the knife. Well, in New York, they have, the, they have the stop and frisk policy, and that's spreading to more cities, you know, and where the police will just stop you and and frisk you, you know, and, and if they find anything... I gotta say, I don't think anybody would have stood for this shit in the 70s, you know? <laughs> I do not remember the world being this way. I was trained, brought up, like, you know, people can't do that shit to you. And you would probably tell a cop you couldn't do that, but in these, in this day, you, you, they'd say you're, you're resisting arrest or something. Well, yeah, they might yeah. tase you or something. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, you you don't want me to search your car? Okay. Well, uh, just wait here then. And they go back to their car and they call the dog. And then we're gonna walk the dog around your car, and that's all they have to do. There's their excuse right there. Yeah. Oh, the dog said, "Oh yeah, something's in there." It's it's just ridiculous. You gotta stay one step ahead of it, brother. Even for people that don't, that are not breaking any, like most of these, from what I understand, a very small percentage of the stop and frisk um, program has has generated any illegal firearms or drugs or or any crimes being committed. Yeah, and there's there's one that's sort of a. Facebook, YouTube sensation right now of a kid that actually recorded his ex, one of his ordeals of being stopped and frisked in New York, and uh, the the police officer, you know, he he has a quota to meet. Like they get, they have to do so many stops and frisks yep. every day, every shift, or they. I don't know if there's a penalty. I don't know what the they get, whether they do or don't do it, but. They just do it. Do it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's they, like traffic stops. Yeah. It generates revenue. And uh, so the this kid recorded the whole ordeal, and and he's you know like, why are you stopping me? And they said, well, you look suspicious. And he asked why he looks suspicious. He walks this way every single day. You know, at about this time, coming <laughs> home from work, I'm the same guy that was here yesterday and the day before and the day before, walking down this street wearing this hoodie. Yeah, like. What am I, you know, what's wrong? And they're like, you know, shut up, don't smart off. And then they grabbed him, and he's like, why are you grabbing me? Stop. Don't, you know, why are you being so rough? And they slammed him to the ground, you hear this big scuffle, you know, and and it's like they just completely, there's there's no 
respect for people's rights, I think. Yeah. From, well, let me guess. This was a small segment of police. Yeah. I'm sure that, and I have a lot of friends, actually, that are police that I've met through my job, you know, and and I'm sure that none of them would approve of that kind of behavior, but people that, you know, do the same thing, the same line of work, is they do perpetrate that behavior. Uh, bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. But it's like, how, how do you defend yourself from that kind of attack? And I don't want to say from the police. I want to say from a sort of power-hungry person who happens to have a job yeah. where they're... Could be the yeah. mailman. Because that's, that's not, <laughs> you know... Could be the dog catcher. Having that reminds said, me of a Having point said I negative to, about yeah, police, yeah, I just yeah, want yeah. to say that 99% of them would risk their life for a complete stranger any day of the week. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't have a problem with the police. I just have a problem with police that... We have a problem with abuse abuse of power. power. And the police is one place that can happen. Look, you know, I worked with a lot of police, too, doing animal control. uh, Yeah. In D.C. Good ones and bad ones. Crack Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, that was one of the little mini topics I was actually going to throw out was... uh, if you had, I was going to ask you if you'd ever had a job or something. Like we had Aaron Fields on the show, like the second show or something, third show, mm-hmm. and uh, he was a firefighter and he had adapted some uh, wrestling techniques to hose handling because they're okay. super and it's amazing stuff. And now he goes all over the country training that shit. And you know he's like, you know, firefighting taught him more about fighting, life right. and death situations than martial arts did or very much informed that back and forth obviously and I was thinking you know animal control for me that definitely influenced my martial arts path heavily yeah, yeah. because you know I, so many things happened that I had to learn how to deal with that are contingent to violence mm-hmm. and then some violence you know <laughs> whether it be an animal or human <laughs> uh, but just the threat of it every day and I have to say this quickly, too. Dog catchers get the shit into the stick. <laughs> Boy, we should, nobody likes us until they need us, and then they're angry because there's only one of you, and it takes you half an hour to get there. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Why aren't there 50 of you? <laughs> Buffy's down the drain, you know? Uh, Save Buffy. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's one of those professions that's like firefighting or police work. There is potential for abuse there, and animal mm-hmm. control is largely unprofessionalized or it was it's been improving fairly steadily but you know 20 years ago you could go from one place to another and it's completely different and mm-hmm. you know you go from really dedicated humane society uh, hired people that are working their asses off in bad conditions to some place where you know you've got three or four hicks that like their county job and you know don't mind using a gas chamber 20 years past when you should be doing that shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. Put poor little kitties to sleep. Yep. <laughs> but I just want to, I just wanted to throw a shout out there for my G units, my animal control people. <laughs> but the question I was going to ask you, is there a job or something like that, that you've had, maybe your job now, you've done this most of your life, yeah. that, it, that feeds back to that high level with what your concepts and practice of martial arts is? You know, I, I think with my job that I've done since I was a teenager, professionally, you know, um, I've has been a sound engineer, and, and you know, oftentimes, like, now I don't really have to do a whole lot of physical labor, but to get to that point, I do a lot of physical labor. Yeah, you were humping gear, weren't you? Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, I, I, like, feeder cable, 
a bundle of electrical cable weighs about 50 pounds per bundle, and it's a lot more efficient to carry four pieces of it at a time than one piece at a time. Yeah. So you get really strong. That's in the farmer's weird walk, places. man. That's you know, that's what yeah. uh, that's one of those old strongman <laughs> exercises. Like you get two five-gallon buckets and yeah. fill them with cement and just pick them up and carry them, motherfuckers. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you know, pushing cases up a ramp. There's a 16-foot ramp that goes up to a truck that's five feet. Mm-hmm. High, so you can do the math and figure out the angle if you're interested. And yeah. uh, about three degrees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you you learn how to like the, uh, an average you know road case full of cables and such might might weigh 500 pounds, and you mm-hmm. and one other person are pushing it up the ramp. You know, so you have to be sensitive to how hard they're pushing for one, because if you don't push at the same speed, right. whatever, it'll you're working against possibly go off, well person. possibly yeah. go off the ramp and right. then you end up getting yelled at by the production manager yeah yeah <laughs> and you don't want that nope. so um, so just it it taught me a lot about body mechanics mm-hmm. you know, like pushing cases and carrying heavy equipment yeah you know, and like uh, setting up like a, a a great friend of mine Brandon is a lighting guy and for years he's picked up like he's bent down like this grabbed two handles and picked up this awkward object that, right. that rotates this way and spins this way right so it's like pulling in every direction and sets it on something above his head and he does that 60 times a day in the morning and 60 times a day at night you know yeah. and he's one of the strongest like retard strong <laughs> person you've ever yep. encountered. No, I always said the strongest person I've ever known. Pound for pound. Paul Salute. Well, maybe I'll beep his last name out or whatever. He's a good old boy in Athens. Uh, smart guy, you know. He homebrewed really good beer and mm-hmm. uh, wrote poetry booklets in his spare time out in his shed. But uh, he was a construction guy. And, you know, he was probably at the time, he was about 30, maybe a little over 30. He was older than me. He'd pick up two full sheets of plywood and just run up a ladder and walk across a sloped roof and throw them down. I'm like, holy shit. He weighed, you know, like 145, 150 pounds, not an ounce of fat on him. You know, just freakishly strong. It's strong in weird places, too. Like, a, mm-hmm. like it's, it's not normal strong. Like, you can't necessarily bench press a whole lot. Right. But you can lift and move heavy things right. easily. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> confident with the materials yeah no that's that's definitely had a little experience with that sort of thing working but <laughs> you're doing it day in and day out that's why even though you got uh you know you you have a significant amount of mass to move through space but mm-hmm. like i remember the first time we did the shouldering drills with the kick shield yeah and it took you a couple of times through the line to be like what are they looking for here you know uh-huh. <laughs> once you figured it out it's like a fucking wrecking ball swung in and hit that thing yeah, it, it. I think I went about. If you look, can, I went about six feet back, and then I went another six feet back to make sure it didn't happen again. I've, I've been trying to figure out the best way to because it, it's one of my attributes. I'm big. So, yeah, yeah. Like, don't fight it. You know, like, embrace it. So. Yeah. <laughs> but no, learning, I think that's why you like the focus the mass. It's built in, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, built into a lot of shit. Learning <laughs> to focus the mass. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it makes it so you have to use less energy and, yep. and less speed, you know, because I'm not going to be the fastest guy, you know, nope. so I have to have probably better position to appear faster, I think. 
Yeah. Cheat the physics a little. <laughs> well, you're not cheating the physics. You're cheating people's perception of the physics. Yeah, yeah. It's like, whoop, whoop. Yeah. <laughs> no, if you, you take somebody like Big Al, who's also moving significant mass, and, you know, he's getting a little broke down, man. You know, he's, he's aging, but you still, like, I wouldn't want to get in a fight with Big Al to save my life. I guess I would to save my life. <laughs> Short of that, I am not starting a fight with Big Al because if he hits you once with either fist or his head, it will probably kill you. It's hard-headed, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, we got to get Big Al back on here. Yeah, definitely. He's uh, teaching singy, and does he teach Tai Chi also? No, he does it. He doesn't really teach it. Sometimes he'll show some stuff, you know, with some of his students. But it's not. It's not. He focuses ninety five percent on the shingy with the teaching. Yeah. And he goes out there and gets visa CDs or whatever. And he's like, "Oh, Daigo Young does it this way," you know. <laughs> he likes to deconstruct it. He's he's a technician, you know. Yeah. His boxing background, I think, made him that. But he likes to really break shit down and. But he likes it simple, you know. Yeah, I just want to f- like feel how it can. I don't, I don't want a lot of mystery in in martial arts. Yeah, no, like that. Like keeping it simple and yeah. pragmatic, I guess, is important to me. Well, you know, I loved the aerial kicks and stuff when I was in my twenties. And I can still pull them off all through my 30s. And now at 45, I've got a couple I can I'll tell still you, do. I'll tell you a great use for a uh, aerial kick in my line of work that I've used many times. Going over a barrier with Going tornado. over the barricade. While We've holding, actually had that conversation on the podcast. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that is... Call back! Yeah, yeah. That is the best use of... Uh, of that kind of kick for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I use that kick for and why I still try to practice it enough that I can at least do a few of them if I need to? What's that? Uh, is I use that kick for shutting down people when you're practicing in public that are coming up and being monkeys, you mm-hmm. know? Like uh, in Decatur one time, a bunch of young kids from the high school, you know, black kids had their hoodies up and stuff. And this was before apparently it was okay to shoot these kids. Uh, that's a yeah. joke. It's painful, uh, boom, knee slapper. Yeah. Uh, but they they were just goofing like any high school kids will do. But they came up there while we were practicing and started jumping around and going, ah, and yeah. swinging their arms. And this is Mortal Kombat. And I just... You know, I'm like, okay, this is disruptive. And it is a public place. We have to share. <laughs> but it's disruptive as hell. So I walked up to the guy in the center. He, like, did some weird-ass attempt at a jumping chicken kick or something. I'm like, no, you're doing it all wrong, dude. It's like this. And I, you know, ripped off three or four yeah. banging kicks. And they were like, ooh. <laughs> okay. And they just walked away. They'd do some kicks. And if they were just <laughs> kept watching us practice in Bagua, they wouldn't have walked away. They would have kept mocking us because they had no idea what was going on. Yeah. You know? Well, some of the simplest, most boring-looking things that I know about martial arts are probably the things that I could have the most violent action with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you keep it simple, stupid, when you're actually fighting. 
but you know it's good to be able to whip shit like that out just to make people say oh okay this guy is a karate man I'm gonna not fuck with him anymore Mm -hmm. you rarely want to use it for that but like kids you know it gets kids attention like high school when I taught high school (laughs) occasionally I would just bust a move on their asses do something they couldn't do even though I was the 40 year old guy (laughs) you know and uh Get, and it got their attention and their respect, and they would do the exercises I was asking them to do after them. Like, it gets you here if you want it to. I know? always try to motivate younger people that have work by, you know, walking faster than they can, making them catch up, you mm-hmm. know, just and, and emphasizing, like, doing things Let's very just show them how work precisely. Yeah. You know, and, and the, you know, there's, why are you lagging behind? You're 20 years old. You should be walking ahead of me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you because you travel a lot uh-huh. and you do this thing. I was thinking about some specifics, just as a quick, short little topic here on uh, quit flipping around on me. I'm looking at my notes now uh, on how to train with no time. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this before, you know, in a broader sense, but what are some of the things that, that you do to try to train as much as you can? Because, like, you know, I'm with my new job, I get on a thing. And I might work seven, 12-hour days a week for three, four, whatever weeks straight. It's really hard, but I, I have a schedule. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm not too ambitious with the schedule. And I've, I pick a couple of core things. Like, my main martial arts practice has always been Tai Chi Chuan. A few years ago, I started learning Bagua. And I sort of stunted at the first you know, section, basically. But I've continued to practice it, so right. I make sure. That There's a ton of utility in that first yeah, bit of material. Yeah, and I've learned like one percent of it. You know, what I mean, like just the, the ideas that are available. I'm sure. You know, it's like the. Uh, you got a few more percents than that. Uh, it, I, there's a lot, a lot of stuff I haven't thought of with it though, and a lot of stuff I make up with it. <laughs> That's half the fun, right there. <laughs> but the, I don't know the. Uh, Mm. Uh, like, what? <laughs> uh, I'm a... well, like, I'll give an example of something I do when I don't have any time. When I have a few minutes, like you're relaxing, it's like I'm not going to go work out. Right. But I just went through Phoenix with Pittman again a couple of weeks ago. I was like, okay, I need to make this stick this time. I did the entire forum like half a dozen times in this much space. Totally yeah. fakey walkthroughs, you know, just boom. Boom, and just kind of shifting your feet in place for the steps, you know, making it really small. And yeah, I'll do stuff like that too for sure. And I've I've learned to practice in really small places, like where I did most of my um, bagua practice was in a bus hallway. This for the past six weeks. Um, so I love that bagua it fits in your pocket. You really yeah, don't need enough room to go in a circle. Is, <laughs> is just wider than my shoulders. Mm-hmm. And um, I even did some training with you know a buddy of mine on the road in that hallway just trying to figure out like confined spaces and how mm-hmm. how this stuff works you know uh, it, that you just make time you know like and it, but you don't like you don't get too ambitious with it though and like say I gotta practice everything I know because it's and do my physical training and do you know because it's impossible sometimes yeah yeah like, I'm definitely in the every day a little bit is better than, you know, once a week hardcore. But that's another yeah. thing. Like, you know, when I was working these long gigs, when I would get a weekend off, I would 
I didn't care if anybody was coming out or not. I would go down there and just practice on my own because I'm like, mm-hmm. this is my only time, you know. <laughs> and I would stick around for Big Al's class, you know, yeah. and do, and just milk as much as I could out of it. Um, aside from the, you know, the risk of hurting yourself and being not warmed up enough. But in, in a way, I think your 20s gorging is when, when it's a good time to train so many hours a day. Yeah. yeah. I kept it up into my early 30s. Because I, I think from about 25 to 35, I trained a lot of hours a day. Yeah. And yeah. you got to do that at some point, you know. And, ten, and at some point you get long in the teeth. Yeah, and 10 years beyond that, it's like, well, how many hours do I want to do this a day anyways? You know what I mean? Right. Like I, I've right. got... The basic skill that I was trying to learn from all the training from that segment right. of my martial arts. Yeah, right? I got the practical thing so, that I wanted. So now I just have to refine that, and that doesn't take four hours a day or whatever. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it at could, forty-five, could, I'm not training anything for four hours a day, especially it, yeah. not if I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, the, but every now and then I'll do days where I have a l- hours and hours of training, and sometimes at random times, like. We a couple of times this summer, or um, even on this last tour, it'd be like four in the morning or five in the morning, and we'd meet out in the parking lot and train for an hour. You know? Yeah, and this is before we go to bed because we've you know maybe checked into the hotel at two, had some food, showered or whatever, and then right. like all right before I go to sleep, let's meet and we'll train for a little while. So we'll do push hands or we'll do our forms or whatever, whatever. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, but you just like sometimes you sacrifice too like when you're like in my position you know instead of going out to the bar or whatever I'll go to the park and move slowly <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh, yeah so uh, on an airplane like when you're traveling you can get up and you know stand in the back and you can do like little you know little bits of Tai Chi or whatever Creepy yeah. little motions by the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, you can just, like, stretch or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, just like. It's funny how people look at you, too. Like, if you're standing around in the airport or whatever, and you just sort of, uh, you know, <laughs> you're picking your knees up <laughs> to your shoulders, you know, and the, like, what the? <laughs> is he about to bust into a silly walk? What is that guy doing? He's going to break dance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You used to carry that big piece of cardboard around, didn't you, Bruce? It was linoleum, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> yep. High class. Yeah, we used That's to meet at the in the gym, uh, my high school actually. After school, we'd have a little bit of time before wrestling practice, and we'd meet on the other side of the gym, above the uh, above the second level of bleachers. It's a big area you could do activities in as a kid yeah. right. and we chose to bring our little boom boxes and, and uh, break dance <laughs> I was not really good at it <laughs> yeah me either <laughs> as you can probably imagine <laughs> I couldn't dance at all until I was like 20 you know and even then it was kind of the white boy shuffle just sort of you know shaking the maracas and stepping side to side yeah, I'm not much of a dancer. But then Craig started taking me raves at the 41, making me practice forms oh, on the yeah. dance floor during the... Well, they were, you know, they were raves in an established club, so it wasn't <laughs> like some crazy thousand people outdoor thing. 
But yeah, I actually learn how to loosen up and dance a little better from that, you know? <laughs> I like doing, like, doing forms, listening to music. You know, it's, it's a relaxing I think and, and you can uh, it helps take your mind off some of the pain when doing some of them too you know like because your legs get yeah. sore or whatever yeah, yeah. <laughs> it also reminds me of the times Craig would show up and, you know, and we'd be doing these brutal you know alligator walks and shit at Duck yeah. Shit Park and just sweating and hurting and he'd go over and grab his little boom box and hit play on the cassette tape, and it would be the, the Basil Polidori's Conan theme. <laughs> That's awesome. I'll mix a little clip of that in there. I happen to have that now. It's like, you motherfucker. Funny. It's a, uh, what else do you do to practice, like, when you don't have time? Like, I mean, you... I, I'll tell you another thing Especially do, with, like, practicing application side of it more than the, the form. Like, how do you do that when you don't really have a training partner or much time to dedicate to it? Okay, uh, so, yeah. It is hard, and that's the whole of the reason I teach classes at all now, is to have other people to knock <laughs> around with. It really is. I don't care about the money now, you know. And it was ridiculous when I did care about it. So, you know, it's actually much more stress-free. And I, li- I like mm-hmm. it more. But, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, uh, but when I don't have anything at all to do, you talked earlier about moving objects. Like, mm-hmm. you can make anything you do at work, you know, if it involves some sort of manual labor, some sort of physical activity. Yeah. Part of that contact practice you know, especially if you're dealing with big, heavy crates or, you know, going up and down ladders or standing on the tops of ladders or, you know, that sort of thing. That's all good for general practice. And, you know, a wall or a tree is a good thing if you just have a couple of minutes, you know, you're on one of your union-sanctioned breaks. <laughs> There's a tree there, and you just sort of it's practice your shoulder. Minutes, you and people break, think right? you've got, like, an autistic tick or something because you're just kind of, you know, stepping past the tree, bump, yeah. <laughs> stepping past the tree, bump, you know. <laughs> There's one one guitar player commented to me once that I was always shifting my weight from one foot to the other yeah. every time I was standing. No double waiting. <laughs> I was like, well, that's partially because I've been on my feet for 18 hours today, yeah. and I'm tired. Yeah. So it's like relaxing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like the way dolphins sleep. They cycle one hemisphere of their brain, and then the <laughs> other one shuts down kind of have to give those legs frequent breaks like every three <laughs> seconds or less yeah. you shift to the other leg there's only so many you know miles you can walk in a day and hours you can stand up <laughs> yep before you get the jimmy leg I'm going to grab a beer you good? I'm good I'll turn the stew back on too oh cool This this one stew is amazing. My wife is a good cook. Wow. Her chili is awesome too. (laughs) Yep. We still really haven't done that this winter, so maybe you'll catch one before you leave Mm. again. That'd be good. But Travis provided the venison for the stew. And I won't use his last name, you'll see why in a minute. (laughs) He's been a private student, you know, he's a good guy, he's an ex-Marine, mm-hmm. um, but he, he's not an imposing Marine, he's, you know, short guy, mm-hmm. 
really nice, you know. <laughs> so he's a professional, so he makes decent money and stuff. And wanted to to get into this shit, and he's stuck with it for like two years now, maybe even three years. He's hmm. been around for a while, and he's met Pittman and some of the other people, but he almost he's never been to a regular like Saturday morning class. Mm-hmm. I've had other people from those classes work out with him out here, but he's never been to one of those. So he's been learning this kind of in a vacuum for a couple of years. Right. And so the other day, a while back, I'm not going to be specific, he was, he had, he left his kids, he's got a couple of daughters and a son, I think, he's got like three kids. Left him with a babysitter, and him and his wife had gone out for an evening, and they were coming home, and he drives, you know, kind of an SUV sort of dealio. Mm-hmm. It's a nice car, but, you know, nothing ostentatious, but he's got three kids, so, you know, I can forgive him for that. It's hard to get three car seats in a <laughs> Honda Fit, but it's doable. <laughs> the Chinese figure out a way to get 12 kids in there. Yeah, they go, like, 12 to a scooter. <laughs> But he was getting close to his neighborhood going home, and somebody was just, like, riding his bumper. Somebody in a sports car. Hmm. Riding his bumper. Like, being a total dick about it. Like, getting Mm -hmm. six inches from his bumper, you know? And uh, it irritated him, so he just kind of took his foot off the gas. He's like, I'm in my neighborhood. You know, I'm going to slow down. You can't go, you know, rocket speed through here. Slowed down. I got to a corner, got pulled up, and actually cut him off. Hmm. And jumped out of his car. Right. So, this guy jumps out of his car, and uh, the guy comes over, and he's like, you, and he reached out and grabbed him with, you know, with his offhand, and you know what that's a setup for. If they Mm -hmm. grab you with the offhand, they're about to hit you with the good one, or they're just trying to intimidate you, and either way, you need to take action right now. They shouldn't put their hands on you, yeah. Right. And he used what I taught him fucking used it you know and uh he that's cool yeah no he did a couple of things he wound up he knocked the guy down one time the guy got back up and he he literally did uphold the second mm-hmm. one you know mm-hmm. and just put him back on the ground again and got back in his car with his wife and drove over the curb to get the fuck out of there mm-hmm. well this guy gets up and gets back in his car and follows him again. Follows him all the way to his driveway where he pulls in, and this guy pulls into his driveway behind him. Mm-hmm. So at that point, he tells his wife, run for the front door. You know, the kids are in the house, the wife is in the car, the guy's right. on his property. Run for the front door. And he pops Sounds out like of the firearms get involved. He had a firearm in the car the entire time, and he never touched it. Wow. Good. He got he got out of his car and he had no idea what was going on behind him. He ran back there before the guy could get his car door open. He beat the shit out of him in his car seat. And you know the ambulance had to come and pick this guy up. Yeah. And like he had that wasn't what I showed coming. him. That's you followed me to my driveway, motherfucker. Huh. You're going down if I can possibly do it. I don't know if you're going to be shooting when you get out of your. I don't know what the hell's going on. This was a guy who lived across the street from him and had just moved into the neighborhood. He told the cops he had pulled in to get his driver's license number. <laughs> it's like, but that's your driveway right there. You could have read it from your fucking porch. <laughs> you know? 
But this guy is the one that went to jail. So, Travis did he get arrested? Went to jail. He yeah. got arrested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's he going to have to spend a bunch of money. It's not going to stick, but the, he's going to have to spend a bunch of money on legal fees. So, what did they arrest him for? For like, what was the offense? It was battery or something like that. And and I don't know actually. But here's the thing. He said there's two reasons that they arrest me. One, because I did beat the shit out of the guy. I'm like, man, I can't tell you did wrong there because I would have done the same thing. Someone comes up in my driveway and I already know they're a threat. They follow me to my house. It ends here. It ends right here in the fucking driveway, one way or the other. Mm. And the other thing is the guy had his 15-year-old son in the car, which Travis didn't even know. Mm-hmm. And so when they show up, you got a guy that's beating bloody, and you got a 15-year-old boy crying on the corner because his dad bad. just got the shit knocked out of him. Hopefully that's an important life lesson for the 15-year-old kid. Yeah, because the other life lesson he was learning, being an asshole in traffic and chase people to their doorstep, is a very dangerous lesson. See, that just goes back to my saying... Or slogan, don't suck. <laughs> he didn't suck. He wouldn't have gotten his ass kicked. Right. <laughs> and you have to suck hard to wind up there. You have to suck so hard you'll follow somebody and pull in the driveway behind him after you've already had an altercation with him. People get carried away in traffic, though. I've seen people get really mad at me because I drive like a grandpa. And, uh, on your moped? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I had a guy who I think was a off-duty cop from another state cuss me out and and scream obscenities at me because I can only go 30 or so miles an hour or whatever, you know. And he wanted to go faster, and he couldn't get around me for whatever reason. Well, and you're finally, too big to pass. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> And so... Fat guy on a yeah, big guy on a little scooter. Mm-hmm. Was that fat guy on a little coat? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, he he yeah, I, I was a little intimidated because I'm like, wow, is this guy gonna pull a gun on me or something? Because yeah, everyone in Georgia seems to carry a gun, or at least the, they want you to think they do. And, well, yeah. if he was a cop from somewhere, I'm sure he had a concealed weapon. Those guys don't leave the house without him. And the only reason I think he was a cop is because he was yelling at me about the law. Oh, well, that didn't make him a cop. <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> Could be an internet nerd. And he looked like one. Smelled like one. <laughs> Had a mustache like one. <laughs> but, you know, the whole reason I brought that story up was because I was gratified that somebody I'm teaching kind of in isolation like that. The part where he used what I taught him worked out really well. He's like, and he protected himself. He protected his wife in the car, whatever. He left the guy on the ground. He got the fuck out of there. It's like I tell him, get the fuck out of there. When you get followed home, you're in a whole other realm. I can see how somebody would be legitimately scared. In that situation too, like, why is he following? What does he want? We already, you know, maybe he had a gun in the glove box, and he's following because I just kicked his ass. He's following me home to shoot me up. Good, I didn't kick his ass hard enough. 
you know, he can follow me home. That's that's the question, you know. Yeah, how how much do you pull back because you think they're just being a dumb, you know, aggravated with traffic stress in their life? You tr- you cut them slack, you know. Well, that deer. But if you got too much slack, that deer that he shot did not die in vain. No, it's good. Cheers to Thais for picking that up. Yeah. Thank you, Thais. Smells like somebody even though we don't eat food There's other spots. I totally works here. Top of your foot. Yeah. Under some I had the bottom. I'm not going to do this. He had the bottom of your feet. He had prehistoric fish scales. What I did is I put all over his toes. And then on the back of his calf, he had three dragonflies. What if I find this? So yeah, he couldn't work, dude, years. for like a couple weeks standing there smoking. See, I hate rat whacking right out. So now all the toe outs and shing is to do this. The older way. Which squares the hip for the rear punch. all the forms. I feel so much safer with him out there. Oh, yeah. Totally. This is a useful skill. And this movement, you are keeping it safe, my friend. So then you immediately overlap in the shower. Or you slide down. Sweet. Thank you. That's what I did. But don't fall over, Craig. And the circle being behind. Well, when I saw you do snake today, I'm like, that's a little different. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. the older version. Is pretty cool. I like it too, you know what? I'm glad. I'm glad you figured it out for me because I've always fiddled around with like putting 360s and stuff into things, and that wrapping is way easier than having your arm hanging out and trying to. And I usually would just keep it tucked here until I got split, but I'll take it all around. Why not? Yeah, because that little extra. I mean, well, I always felt a little funny. Because right now I consider snake to be the change that you do and don't change off the person you attack. So you have single inside and outside change.
That's my question. My cousin in Colorado. Well, you know, well, this is interesting. Over, you know, after the Reds. I'd like to hear what you hear. Colorado. I'd like to hear what you have to say about this. I was talking earlier with Blake about it. In some ways, I'm actually right. I mean, ultimately, I was doing it. Change emotion at a higher weight. Do it for him. But I reached the point where it started making my knees hurt and stuff. And I realized I kind of, I got to start going crazy. He can do me. I've been working with Bring it back down I've been working with knees for years. They decided to hold up. So it's like I've got an upper limit of like 250 to 20 pounds where I can maintain the same level. No, no, no. But if I go to 25, suddenly I'm like, ah, my knees. My ankle hurts today. I'm like, because I'm trying to do the stuff I was doing. I got all my complications with my knees and low back. Not a million. There's a bunch of guys that have got one night both of Right, right, exactly. That's exactly my point. So what's special about it? What makes it separate? It's going to be a this is what we did yeah. in order to make this yeah. happen. <laughs> and so, you know, I hate to say, they're like, cleaning it. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's, well, you're still playing no, flex, but you were late before. Education houses is not fucking That's how stuff you know what you In high school, my cousin used to buy I work at it. Well, you're one of the few truly professional martial artists that when I've never heard of you before you go in all day. That's my full time That's how I earn a living. That's how people do it. I'm a first. I'm a first. Yes. Or more That's like cool. you gotta let me shoot that thing like well, I gotta shoot yeah, 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 you pull this one, but you also got it for me. You also got it as tight as you can. I tell all you gotta be stealthy and you'll feel the spinal column block out. Well, because yeah, all those inhale, I have to learn, I have to read. In 40 years, I've been out there like 30 times. Squeezing the diaphragm. Learning what these animals do. The watching. With the straightening neck. Learning where's the best place to safety. Well, and it's, you know, I mean, all the Pilates stuff. And then it was all about the, getting the transverse abdominis to wrap tight. Which makes sense if you think of a cylinder. If you, you know, us, we want to be a strong cylinder. If we build all our abdominal muscles out here, you're causing all kinds of strain on the back. You know, and you're doing sit-ups, not doing mornings or, you know, also, too, also, too, if, if you're doing if you're doing, if you're doing certain things, but I mean, also too, if you're doing certain things, you might mostly just be hitting the rectus abdominis at the top and not getting that. I think if you're not bleeding, not actively thinking about tightening the cylinder, I also think that the tightening the cylinder gets all those little You don't have as much volitional control of like all those smaller muscles that pull. You describe that to me is all diaphragm. Man, didn't you feel bad for her? And I told him, I said, if I was going to feel bad for her, I'd have felt bad for her before I spent $1,500 on money. And so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to explain to you how I got there. Okay. Now all I you need to understand why I have a question though, right? Absolutely. I have myself the same question and I made sure and I thought for months yeah. and months and yeah. months. But the chest is wide open. You feel that when I spent that money, that this is yeah. And you feel your entire people are saying the same thing. So that's the problem. 
the way the facet joints you know, of, this, you know, of the vertebrae are up here is where you have more of that kind of rotation, yeah. right? And then, and well, then in the cervical, and the, I had to think because the lumbar are more this way, and the, the thoracic are a little more this way, and the cervical a little more. They're almost like coins. Yeah. So anyway, I was working with that, and that led me to that. We're walking the circle the old way. Because somebody weird. Gonna do it. Isn't that ironic somebody though? Like the way that shit ended up? Yeah. I mean, because you well, should, in, Florida, too. in theory, be able to walk out your front door. If you live in a rural situation, because of the way the diaphragm is sandwiched in there, you have those two do legs. Do that all on your own, but now we hold down and do drop. Yeah, the crust. But then, no, but I mean, the also, way I feel like what Joseph Pilates was always working on was so wide. Everything else changed. That's an opera singer's prayer. Yeah. That's where this gets bigger. Yeah. And that, and like, so it's like if you're only breathing deep and letting the belly go, you're only working the diaphragm in one specific way. And he wanted, they wanted the diaphragm to grow or to do that, you have to let me do that. Yeah. And not just out laterally, but out in the back, too. Right. And the that's what I It's crazy. Yeah. Never heard so none of the guys wanted to just three that. Three or five. Yeah. Or what I can get. No one wanted that. Some of them got it. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, if you keep what we want, beer, then we get by. Also, you're going low. Well, when, yeah. when you're going master. <laughs> well, I feel like when you're going low and you're breathing deep into the belly, it's going to cause, unless you're really thinking about it, it's going to cause everything to push out. And you can build that musculature out and work most of the rectus 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 Mm-hmm. A lot of lifetime athletes do. A lot of mm-hmm. old wrestlers do. Yeah. They're very strong. It can be whenever. Yeah. Yeah. And where are we? But you can develop the same thing. Where is that? Yeah. So it's an option. Which, uh, yeah, which for physics. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing. Now you've got to get vulnerable to herniation. Yeah. So this is where you get your angle. And I lift shit a lot, so I don't want to hurt yeah. I've tried to say, man. Me, you, and him. Yeah. The people in those because I think for a long life in the back, whatever, whatever you want, this diaphragm business and that has come in. Just yeah. I find the scapula move and I can do all the old stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. 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 All those little nooks and crannies. Especially in the back. Uh, you know, I had a it was in the ice cream. I think, I think, yeah, I think there might be a piece of wood in the left. And then my cousin's a good friend. Found something you like. Just hold it up, Charlie. 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 Hold it up,
Nice. Electrical tape yeah. is the poor man's tennis racket. You know what? It's slick on the outside, but once it wears a burner away, it will be because you got sticky. It's very tiny. Do you like it? That old broad story is handy. Then the underachievers that we all are. It's like we are in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Then yeah. meet you and Dave. It's a little bit of first day, Dave. Angel fire. Pretty far, Dave. Well, the stage combat, so it's a really nice, well-balanced sword. It is hell because it has to have a fat edge on it, so they don't chip up and turn into a saw blade. Thank you. Thank you. That has happened. Oh, they'll find it. You can move it like a real sword, but it's like sometimes. You know, it's boring. And what it really does, what I like about it, what I like about it is it makes you follow through. Because you can't stop it, like you can't light sword. You have to use your whole body to move the thing. And I think that, that's also a point of discovery. Yeah, it's kind of like yeah, kind of like yeah. the Zulu spear. Yeah, you had to be careful. That Remember, I almost stabbed you in the face. Uh, yeah. Everybody <laughs> almost. <laughs> <did. laughs> <laughs> doing the Greek stuff. Oh, oh. Oh. And he lost shield it because he didn't do what you told him to do with the shield. Right after, after I told him. Yeah, he went out like this. And he got Not just two. Cut his name, Clear yeah, those shields were heavy. I remember playing with those. And then uh, those big wooden ones. The that was so much. And, and then is dedicated the other kid's dad, the artist, and that who I really like. His oh yeah. Uh, he, he he accused me of being a little obsessive. When his when his son or his son's friend came back with part of a tooth, missing. it was my fault. Oh right. And I thought, oh, this is like a Waldorf thing. <laughs> what did the teacher do? Well, nothing. The kid rejected. Then I just I just remember that one show that we did. Stuff like that. That's gonna happen. I just remember that one show that we did, and we came into each other, and we banged into each other, and it was nice, you know, like nice hard smile. Look looked way worse than it was. And man, I got all jacked up, and Alan got all jacked up. He went to the other side of the stage. I went to the other side of the stage. We came across there, and just bang, man. Next thing I know, my crotch is hanging off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> My feet are flopping. I told Joe underwear was a good idea. He wanted us to do it no underwear, and I was like, no, 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 I don't think so. <laughs> it's not a Scottish wedding. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Did chuck that, thing on <laughs> that was there. one of the few times. That was I fun, felt, man. You could feel the audience. You could totally feel the audience, man. Those little elementary schools, we would crash into each other, and those little elementary school kids would just go. The good old days. That was fun. That was fun. Yeah, we had fun. He looked at the way that I walked around. He was like, walk around the room. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was just like, walk around the room. And he was like, dude, you're a you're, twirl. <laughs> Man, you of all people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 <laughs> am I not defending your true? Not, not this go around, look over your shoulder. Man, you walk this go around, look over your shoulder. Dad, yeah. He said, go, put these hands out here. Yeah, yeah. So put your foot out behind you and then look over to the back. Yeah, all right. No, that did not happen. <laughs> <laughs>
But <laughs> you sit down in the fire pit, your fun is over. Dude, you'd have the red nah, ass. No school joke, and I knew where he was going on it. Dude, he'll be in town for. Bob Blaw's great for blo- glow sticks, isn't it? <laughs> glow sticks? Did you almost say blow sticks? I, I actually, he's got Chad on his mind. He's got Chad on his mind. He can't get it off his mind. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I did say blow stick. <laughs> Who wasn't? Who wasn't? <laughs> but it's perfect for it. Yeah, I know it's great. Fucking kid. This got the salsa. Yeah, the salsa. Yeah. Wow. Uh, the silver. Well, to old friends and new, may this pass safely through. I have nothing in my hand. I skipped the week. Yeah, I want the week. Oh, wait, 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 wait. That'd be good. Yeah, you gonna chuck that water on the silver or what? Whatever you want to call it. Oh, oh, oh. Here. It's tequila. That's fine. Water is fine. Thank you, Greg. Pure water, for sure. Pure water. You be like Orbital, man. Orbital is. Let's do a circle so we can get this guy in there. I'm like, I'm on in. This guy. That guy. So that's good. Cheers. Here comes the rain again. Why didn't you come out to the Phoenix today? He's not quite completely risen from the ashes. Oh, sorry. I love catching him like halfway out in the yard with a really solid one. It's a rubber ball. His head's like fucking center ball. Our dog's like that too. Sometimes she'll be running around she'll like slam her head into something. And she all, just like looks like, huh? We all know that pit bulls are like the best, best dog. dogs. They're, they're like the... We should let our dogs say that. Irony. Yeah. Oh, I'm she sure would love him. Pit bulls are the, the best dogs. He's got gun dog in him. He's like pit bull mixed with some sort of gun dog because from day one, you throw a ball and you bring it back and rub on her wound and give it back to him. Yeah. Yeah, and shake it around a little bit. Like a and shake it around a little bit. Look at it. Yeah, that's what she does. She'll grab her, grab her toy. So like, I love this ball. She likes to take things and rip them apart. That's well, that's her That's all kinds of other dogs yeah. like that. That's, he, that's how you can tell his gun dog really is just soft. You know, I don't care how old you are. Like, how long you spend in You don't want to chomp the duck to bits before you get it back in your touch. You know, the seminar. And you maybe you do an app with somebody else that's cool and all work and you get to do it with the leader of the class like doing it with Alan. It's still a little you know you get to work right with him it's like straight up in my job right now so it you know well even that I mean if you've been you know you've been with him for so long I imagine you still you know you feel it's much better when you get to work hands on with him. Oh, you know, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Sitting around every single one of my best friends, brothers, whatever's babies, and man, she's just almost 
every other person I work with. Like when you ask yeah. Ava yeah. likes kids. Or on Pierce stand. Right, right, right. Because you've been in it so long. Oh, man. Yeah. Tasty children. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. I'd never put my face in the face of a dog. I didn't. I would never as long trust. As if I trust that dog, okay. then that dog's okay. Because, yeah. dude, I got bit in the face when I was like, well. That sounded really dirty. If I trust that dog, then that dog knows that I don't like dogs in my dude, face. That dog. Tell me, man. <laughs> And then I have uh, English, uh, a bunch of like long features of maybe me learn, but also now it's learning to stay up the whole time. Two weeks later, we had another show. I have no problem. It's very challenging in my life. What I do sometimes for like eye contact with it, there's this thing at the playground that's got the overarching bar this way and the overarching bar this way, and it's got ladders and a circle top for people to climb around on. It's just you know metal pipes and three inches. I just haven't used it yet. And, but you get in the center of it, and you can do like the center change drills I do all the time. You can't hit them super hard because they're pipes, so it's not like I'm trying to crush it in Texas. But you gotta have structure when you bump it or it's dingy. Yeah, these probably won't be. I don't know. I probably take a little more doing the plan firmly enough. That are right let them take some of the act. Right, right. Well, that's why I put numbers on my bricks. I did that too. I have a bag of bricks. I was teaching Aaron and I in California. I'm like, nine bricks, nine good bricks, no holes in them, and paint the numbers one through nine on them. Put them in your bag. I gave them with you when you bicycle over my house. That's very hard. Teach us, sir. He's a good teacher. And he fucking did it. So I'm like, all right, let's see if we're here. You can put two of them down for the top. Nine bricks is enough for one person to walk the circle off. If he comes over, you know, he'll expand it for two. I realized that when I got in there, and I was like, it's kind of hard to do. Yeah, I remember. 
or more than one person walking in circles. I have like a nine-number bricks and I have like a few. I have like maybe six other bricks or something. I have like I even had a kid taped up so I can put them on like on one night and move them on my side. You could find, but coming in at it as an adult, no idea. We have one more of these. After I tore my legs, I was trying to do all this reworking. One of the things that was interesting in this article was like, give you was all kinds of stuff where like you know, standing on one leg, closing the eye. Because, right. you know, what well, yeah, the it's program. one thing to do it when you have a, a focal point, but another one entirely. No, it's not too late. I'm not going yet. From my understanding, is that what you're, you know, what you're doing when you're doing that often enough? Is that you know, you're, you're of course working the periphery of the nervous system, but then you're encouraging. I haven't seen you fibers be attached because they have to destabilize. To go to where it. Well, bricks do that in the escalator. It's like doing the static arms and bricks, and you know, you start out, you can see them in front of your nose and the peripheral. Yeah, I've been having fun like doing like some of that stuff, and then I have one of those little wobble boards. Right. Twenty four on that, you know, just and balance stuff. Oh, I'll come out. Two hard. Yeah, I've been having fun nerding out with some of the different. Thank you. Different training it's stuff. Well, just that, yeah, it is. Doing the kind of or something I definitely expect to buy a lot. That's when the train Even Right here for a second. By my side. Because I put that shit on your podcast, I'm going to sue you. <laughs> it's a, I'm just testing the thing. But I put it over here because that's where the most is going on. Yeah, exactly. Just let it ride now. See how well it works. I'm getting used to using the thing. See what environments I can use. Might be your I got it. And I might take a clip out of that if there's something that just comes out. But I'm not going to put it in that now. Oh, good. You're not going to put it in that Oh, no. That's good radio. Yeah, it's been fun like doing that kind of stuff and then getting people uh, to like Europe after or, that. You could yeah. And I love when I get to like a can't do some of this stuff. I did, you know, totally. You teach I totally do something like a proper deadlift or a proper squat. And they're like, oh, this is kind of big and industrial. They're wrapped around the sides. You know, and it's like, and it's cool. Like, okay, so here's, here's where we can progress. You know? Yeah, absolutely. The groups are great. There's nothing better than just 
I like the way he set that up today, though. It's like that monkey seminar he did a couple years ago. How's the young man? Nice. If the long as you got a little bit of pop, get you through it, man, you can get a lot. The one we did over at Acting. Yeah, that was fun. Well, that one new guy, brand new guy, showed up. This is not how you start. No. <laughs> I saw him standing over and I said, Look, everybody here started exactly where you are. Yeah. Put them over there. Didn't yeah. They yeah. didn't know it and then they knew it because they did. What's going on? That's a good idea. Fuck it. Look at me. Yeah, I won't be having another one of those. Oh, man. I had one of those right after the chicken wing and about burnt my mouth off. Now, are you doing mostly like Bhagwan Shingi workshops? Are you doing the. What was the. I mean, my mom, my mom's been coming in and taking Pilates from me. I've got her doing some deadlifts. For bodyguards and strength. We miss them here in the neighborhood. Then I did Wisdom of the Body. Wisdom of the Body, that's what I was saying. I'm doing Wisdom of the Body of Parachute one day and then Marshall. Because it made you come over all the time. Yeah. Partly. And I saw his ass twice in like a month. It's like Christmas. Well, I don't get out anymore. If you get out like in Decatur, it's like if you used to get out in Decatur, I don't see him. Now that I'm out of core, I'm not even out in Decatur. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I've been out in Decatur for five years. I never see you. Yeah. That's where I used to swim. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a few years back, like when you were sink, when I was still at no, when I was still at core, I was still at core all the time, and not out there teaching fucking classes. Yeah, it was convenient to drop by. Yes, it's east of Plymouth. It's east of Plymouth too. Yeah, yeah. Plymouth is Plymouth is all next year, man. That's far west. Next year you'll be old enough to come to Tango Class. Portsmouth and Southampton. I'll be like, here, yeah. man, let me show you. Yeah. <laughs> just for a second. Just well, a it's second. like tango's martial okay. arts, but when we do martial arts, we all buckle yeah. down into our own uh-huh. centers, and then when you do tango, yeah, yeah. you know this. You just came to you know, it's uh-huh. like, uh-huh. you're making a pyramid. It's a pyramid. Where do you do workshops? So if it's a hot chicken, it's got to be an interesting over And hell, even if it's a frumpy middle aged lady, it's still kind of fun, you know? But it's hard for me to get to just share the center like that. But you know what, Dave? You know what? It changes. It does. You do. You definitely get away from that. Right, but, the but you have to learn that. that. You have, right, you have to learn it that way. And I mean, but it does go past that. I mean, oh, I know it does. But I'm saying that's the bedrock, though. You have to be able to flip that sensibility. I mean, that's sometimes what's the reverse for me coming and doing applications like Bagua or whatever. When I've been doing all this like contact improv dance stuff, and I'm with all these women, I'm like, and I'm also trying not to hurt you, and I'm trying to like protect your joints, and then you're trying to get a little. I know you can lift it's, it's more Buddhist. You I am more on. Buddhist than I am anything, and I am not a religious man. Well, that means that means you're learning to let go of expectations. 
Yeah. That's what Buddhism is about. Yeah. And they're like, the, the past is fucking illusion and the future is illusion. The only thing you got is right now. That is what I believe. I have it's this moment. And it's you still guys, this is <laughs> Man, I with you, who I haven't seen in a long time, and you, who I haven't seen in a long time, and you, who I haven't seen in kind of a long time. A long enough. This is awesome. Yeah. I'm having a blast. It's, it's nice fun. to catch up with everybody. So I told Big Al, I was like, you know, I got kind of lucky because uh, I shot that deer high. That, that was kind of a lucky shot. Mm-hmm. Like, it could have happened. And Big Al said, luck is when preparation and opportunity meet. He's right. And you could have just missed. I could have not went back out there when I was freezing my ass off. And I thought about it, too. But I did go back out there. You know, it's like the opportunity, the opportunity was there. Got a little bit lucky. I'll take it. Yeah. Mickey's all about the hunting right now. He's enjoying it. He is enjoying good, it. man. No, I, I, get, I dig it. Well, it's I, like whatever pumps you up at the most. Sometimes we just do things that we do in our lives. I'm glad that you're doing it. The well, there's several better. things going on with hunting. One yeah. is it, it operates very, very strong basic parts of the brain. Awesome. True that. It's, oh, okay. it's a very honest, very honest, very instinctive thing. There's I'll tell no you what, I was, I was really, my, my heart was really beating when I had like two deer within 15 yards here and one behind me that I couldn't see that was within 10 yards. And if I had turned, I didn't like a wild animal being behind me. I don't know how far it was. It could have been five feet. I'd be glad you weren't tracking bear. <laughs> you find it or chupacabra. I knew a guy who was tra- tracking a bear, and he tracked him for about a half mile, and he started noticing the tracks were veering off. <laughs> yeah. And then he got this feeling on the back of his neck. You've been circled. <laughs> you have been flanked, bitch. <laughs> and you earned a bitch sticker from Yeah, I don't worry too much about bear and alphabet. Yeah. We had we had him at my house a few weeks ago. I, I was I was working out and a deer ran ran straight up to me and went. Oh yeah, you told me about that. And I that. said, what? <laughs> Is that what you said? Yeah. It's a young guy. What? I said, did you what? point at him? No. I was like, what? Because he's like this. Somebody's been feeding him. And then he took off. And I thought, what is that about? And then He's like, bear, come and get the fuck out and of here. Was and he came. Within about a minute, the bear's coming Dude, towards me. And I he's think, right oh, behind me. Yeah. Where's still the trees? Where's the trees? I don't want to look. And he had his nose look. down. So he was just snuffling off. And I thought, well, I'll just stand here because there's no eye contact. Right. And he went on by. It's just a little one. Right. Still, he'd open you up. Well, like, it's oh, when you see, it's when you see the little ones yeah. that you're wary, though, because mom and dad are A little yeah. bit. He respected the gray. <laughs> yeah. He went and on. Bubble. He's like, but yeah, here's the thing. He went on, and then I stood there for a while, and I thought, should I practice now? Is another one going to show up? Is should I go inside? Yeah, should you be doing violent movements in the vicinity of a bear cub? <laughs> one, one visualize. Yeah. Work with the projections. Mm-hmm. But he's, but he's, do they tell on people like they did when we were back in fucking first grade? Yeah. I don't know. They might. It's, it's they might. Yo, dog. <laughs> Guess what the fuck just happened? So that was, and then he came back apparently when I went out of town. Brian had to get the air horn on him because he came up on the back deck to inspect the garbage. (laughs) There's no food in there. It's just bags. But they saw the bags and thought, something might be in those bags. Yeah, absolutely. Because we know to keep all the food in. 
and no bird feeders, no nothing. They love bird feeders. They just tip them up yeah. and shake the seed down yeah, like ice cream. Like going to Costco for nuts. Yeah. It's like walking into my refrigerator <laughs> wee hours of the morning and that Parmesan cheese when I've got nothing else That's in the house. That's because you never have anything yeah. else in the refrigerator. <laughs> that Parmesan cheese is so good. Empty you pizza box. You should doing some serious shopping, Scott. Oh, shopping is okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. I was just making a joke about myself. It's been a while since I've done that. That is nothing less than fucking peanut butter jelly. Peanut butter Who's going to do the first tornado kick? What are you All right, folks, we're back. Last episode of 2013, Hi Y'all Podcast. We managed to squeak another one in, and hopefully we'll have a lot more goodness coming to you in the new year. Thanks so much for your undying support. We hope you enjoyed that. Want to give a shout-out to Jim Kelly, Lyle Carlong, on a personal note, Harvey Olin Jones, Ura, and Manny the Man Cat, who was often on this podcast. Safe journeys. Miss you. 2014 let's hope it's a good year for everybody and uh i think it's i think it's only appropriate that we go into it no matter what's happened in a positive spirit yeah that's right hiya let's get out there and get this new year people let's throw a leg lock or a knee bar or maybe a triangle choke or how about just a good bit slap to the face on this thing whip it into order and get her done does that sound good folks sound good to me all right well Ah, hope you've enjoyed this one. I certainly enjoyed making it, and we will see you guys in 2014. See ya! Let's just go to the dogs tonight, to the dogs tonight, because nothing really matters. Let's just go to the dogs tonight, to the dogs, to the dogs. I can be the sugar, and you can be Cream. I can be the dreamer and you can be the dream Rainy days are over, not a cloud in sight We can watch movies in the sky all night The heart was patient but the mind couldn't wait And now it's finally time to celebrate So let's just go to the dogs tonight To the dogs tonight Cause nothing really matters Let's just go to the dogs tonight, to the dogs.
photographs of her now that never ends No need for apologies for really bad years I'm just glad you made it, man, I'm just glad you're here So you can be the salt and I can be the lime I can be the criminal and you can be the crime I can be the train and you can be the tracks Wave goodbye, it's hard to say when they're coming back Shit on your podcast, I'm gonna sue you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't